Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Fengloff coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Okay, something sounds really bad with the um, the system here. I don't know if uh, my recordings sound terrible. <laughs> They're, uh, the voice, the, the sweet British voice that says, your show will begin in 30 seconds, uh, sounds awful. It's like warbling and burbling, and I don't know. I, I've tried resetting the screen, uh, I mean, the website. So if I sound bad, uh, let me know. <laughs> Either type in a live chat or uh, or call me, uh, 215-383-3832. But as far as I know, I mean, it sounds okay to me as I'm broadcasting now, but I can't tell. I can't tell what this sounds like. And again, that's another great reason for having a producer, a uh, call screening person that can tell me immediately, you know, what's going on. But right now I have no idea what's going on. Uh, we're starting early because it's Friday, and we're still uh, we're still working on our Friday schedule because we have uh, one of our longstanding reporters uh, can't uh, can't be uh, a reporter here anymore, which really uh, is, is a huge loss to Friday. Uh, Jim Dykes, uh, Florida Carey, who was with us, I think probably he's been here what three years, maybe at least two years. It's been a long time. And so a lot of our folks um, have been with us from the beginning, but we have new reporters too. And so the show keeps changing because people's lives change, circumstances change, things like that. Uh, so that's, un- that's unfortunate, but I wish him well. And hopefully he'll check in when he has a chance to let us know what's going on. Because Jim and I used to have the best arguments, best disagreements, best uh, – I mean, he really knows the Constitution. And he knows the Florida Constitution. He knows the laws. I mean, that's what he does at, uh, at Florida Carry as they work to get open carry uh, and constitutional carry here in Florida, which is it's just shameful that we don't have it yet. I mean, it's absolutely shameful. And so that's, uh, that's, that's what's happening with that. Um, a lot of our reporters have, uh, have decided you know, to do other stuff, and they've got busy, and they've got their own businesses, and you know, life's getting a little crazy. So I have openings. You know, hopefully we'll, we'll get some new reporters uh, or new guests or a combination of both, or I'll just you know, talk about things that interest me. <laughs> So, you know, you're stuck with me. And the way to end that is for you to call in, 215-383-3832. And, of course, that will get you uh, on the air, uh, assuming you have something fun to say, intelligent to say. And now that I've discovered how to screen the calls, I, I have a lot better chance to uh, uh, do that uh, as calls come in. I'll be able to uh, hop off the air, especially if people are talking and say, oh, I'll, re- I'll be right back. <laughs> you know, so that works out well. Anyway, I still don't know how my voice is, is doing. I'll assume it, it sounds okay. Uh, until I hear otherwise, but uh, uh, we'll, I'll certainly know on the podcast. I think it's okay. I think it's just their voice synthesizer that's having a little issue. Uh, I, can, I played one of my uh, soundtracks, and they sound pretty good. All right, what's going on in the news? Lots. Uh, the title of the show today is kind of funny. Uh, it's, it's about Arizona containing their state border with containers. Uh, for those that don't know, and I just found this out yesterday, but apparently this has been going on maybe a year now, the state of Arizona has taken shipping containers. You know, you ever, ever see a container ship? You know, they're, they're stacked up to, uh, you know, many, many hundreds of feet high, it seems, uh, with these containers, which are the size of train boxcars. And they're, they're sized that way so they can go from ship to train to truck to anywhere. And so the containers have a universal size worldwide. And so trucks, trains, ships are now built for them. So any container could be shipped anywhere in the world. And there's compatible ships, trains, and uh, trucks to take these containers anywhere they need to go. Well, they're big, and being the size of train boxcars, uh, uh, especially when you stack them one on top of each other and weld them together, <laughs> as they did in Arizona, um, you've, got, uh, you've got a border wall, and so that's what's going on. Now, the federal government, of course, uh, being, believing in open borders, uh, mass illegal uh, aliens flooding into our country, it's not even immigration. 
I don't call it immigration. So the federal government is sponsoring an illegal alien invasion, human trafficking situation, and drug smuggling into the United States, facilitating that by destroying our border. It's not that we have an open border. We have a destroyed border, and that's a, that's a very different way to look at it. Um, in fact, I just thought of that literally just now. Um, and so that's, that's what's going on down there. So the governor of Arizona, uh, uh, one Mr. Ducey, and I think it's spelled differently than the guys on Fox News. I think it's D-U-C-E-Y. I'll check it out. I've got uh, a statement by, uh, from the Arizona governor's office, a press release, and I've got another commentary. And then I've got a little report in one of the Arizona journals from what the feds are doing. So the essence of the Fed's argument is we control all immigration. That's not true. The uh, state of Arizona is trespassing on federal land. That's not true either <laughs> because there is no federal land outside of certain uh, land under armories, uh, docks, necessary uh, buildings, uh, and the District of Columbia. So the entire state of Arizona is Arizona state land except for those few minor bits of ground under necessary federal buildings that Arizona has said it's okay to have. So the idea that the Bureau of Reclamation, which is the Bureau Reclaiming Land, I don't know what for, uh, and that uh, Governor Ducey cannot put containers uh, on sovereign Arizona land because it's federal land is ludicrous. It doesn't exist. We spent two hours on this with um, Dr. Roger Roots, uh, who's, uh, uh, who's an attorney, and uh, it, it was fascinating. Uh, is he Dr. I think he's Dr. Roots. Yeah, I think he's got maybe a PhD, too. Guy's really smart. Anyway, he's up in uh, either Wyoming or, or someplace up north where it's cold, and I'll probably only visit during the, 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 the late summer, early fall months, but um, maybe spring, yeah, or springtime for the, the week that they might have a spring out there. Uh, but the point is, we spent two hours talking about how the federal government uh, that is occupying, illegally occupying masses of the states out west, uh, there's no justification for it in the Constitution. The states could take that land back anytime. They could take it back and drill oil. They could take it back and, and just kick the feds out. They can take it back and, and use the land for state parks. They can do whatever they want. It's their land, which means it goes up to the border. Now, I was trying to find some article, uh, some kind of a source that distinguishes, you know, on the, on the U.S. southern border, for example, or even the Canadian border. Is that land, is there a separation? Is there a distance? Is it exactly the same point? Because a, because a, boundary, a border is sort of an imaginary line. I mean, how thick is it? <laughs> I don't know. But, it's at, as, but at the border, the, 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 the federal government claims jurisdiction. Well, at the absolute border, yeah, they do. But so do the states, because the states are sovereign entities. So there's a dual jurisdiction at our border. In fact, if, if the states were really smart, they'd set up border checkpoints as well. So in other words, once you, you know, enter the country, of the United States by going through a federal border checkpoint. Uh, states might then want to have a state border checkpoint after because you're now entering a state. Well, you can't do that, Greg. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> As I channel Rush Limbaugh again, sure you can. The state of California has agricultural checkpoints at their state border. So if you come in from uh, Nevada or Arizona or, or Oregon or different places, you know, especially on the major highways, I think you probably sneak on the back roads. But if you come on the major highways like most people do, they have a border checkpoint at, uh, at the California uh, border with other states, and it's an agricultural thing because California, you know, the biggest industry is agriculture. So it makes sense. So they, they don't do a whole lot. They don't search your car as far as that. Well, they might actually. Uh, I've forgotten it because I, I didn't, you know, carry open produce or things that might cause a problem. Uh, I don't usually visit farms when I'm out of state, so the, you know that's the usual thing. It's like when you come, when you fly into the United States, you know, did you visit a farm? Did you walk on dirt? 
And most people, even if they have, they say, oh, no, no, I didn't. Like they've committed a crime. No, they're just going to spray your shoes. Okay, They're going to spray your shoes with something that's going to kill any parasites that might be coming in. So if you have walked on a farm and you have walked dirt in a foreign country, they'll say so. So when they ask me, uh, well, I don't know if they ask me or not. I came back from Europe. I walked everywhere. <laughs> My sneakers were covered with mud, dirt, everything else. So you know, they probably said, did you ever walk on dirt or you know, soil or were you on a farm? And I would have said, yeah, yeah, I was. You know, and they might, I don't remember, but they might have sprayed my shoes. I don't know. Anyway, but that's the procedure. It's not a big deal. But the point of all this is that the states have borders. The states have enforceable borders, uh, and they're not doing it. And so this, of course, is a, is a lacking of understanding that goes along with why the states put up with Roe v. Wade when they never had to, put up with gay marriage when they never had to, put up with uh, land that's occupied by the federal government that they don't have to, put up with national parks that should be state parks, you know, and there's a bunch of things put up with uh, uh, restrictions on oil drilling that they don't have to, you know, and all these different things that are being imposed on the states, unfunded mandates that aren't to put up with those either, you know, and so the states can withhold money. The states are sovereign entities. They're actually like countries. And so Pianchi and I, when we talked, a lot of times we talked about the state as actual countries, you know, and that's it. So these, this should be the United Countries of America, not the United States. When we think of state, you know, you think of a subdivision. But it really, these are, you know, if we start calling us the United Countries of America, um, that'd be interesting. Anyway, let me see if I can get to some articles here. Uh, again, hopefully I'm broadcasting clearly because I have no idea. I just don't. Well, let me play something here, one of my many things, just to uh, – I'm going to kind of test the waters here, and I'll be right back with some articles. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H-Care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. I'm just um, doing the quick here. I'm texting, uh, uh, actually, Shirley, who's going to be on a little bit later. I want to see how I sound because to me it sounds okay. Uh, my voice sounds okay, but the recordings sound awful. I mean, they sound absolutely awful. Now I can get around that. I don't have to play a lot of them. But if the recordings sound okay to her, then it's something that's going on in my computer. Not, it's not going on with blog talk. So the signal we're, we're putting out is okay. Um, but, um, otherwise, uh, otherwise not. So if I'm all garbled and burbled, then that's, that's going to make for a really bad show. Uh, I might just end it and start a new episode. Uh, if that's the case, if it's not the case, then I'd rather keep going because I've you know, logged in, got the title, than everything else here. So I'm going to see, uh, let me check one more person here. I'm just going to text this a little bit. So give me uh, a second here to, uh, to see, see what's going on here. So how do we sound? So like I say, someday I'll have a producer. This won't be an issue. All right. And so, uh, sorry about this. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we'll, we'll see if he gets back to me pretty quickly. Uh, texting uh, Pianchi. Hopefully he'll, uh, he'll let me know what's, what's happening. Um, 
I usually does pretty quickly. All right, so here's what's going on. So this is from uh, let, me get, let me get the governor's uh, Governor Ducey. That's D U C E Y in Arizona. Press release August twelfth, twenty twenty two. So this has been going on for a little bit. In fact, I think I remember seeing something that goes back to 2021. So this wall, and it takes a while to build this stuff. You know, these containers, they've got like 80 containers, and they're, they're welded together. So this is, a, this is a pretty substantial operation. All right, so this is from August 12, 2022, news release from Governor Ducey. Governor Ducey issues executive order to fill gaps in border wall. Why did they wait so long? Why don't they just do this, you know, day one of, uh, of, of when, uh, when Brandon, you know, assumed power at the White House illegally? All right, Phoenix, Governor Doug Ducey today issued an executive order directing the Arizona Department of Emergency and Military Affairs, that's an interesting department, to immediately fill gaps in the Yuma border wall. Arizona has had enough, said Governor Ducey. We can't wait any longer. The, he says Biden administration, I'll, I'll say Brandon insurrection, uh, lack of urgency on border security is a dereliction of duty. No, it's not a lack of urgency on border, secu- border security. They destroyed the border. All right, let's get this straight, folks. The, the insurrection destroyed the border for their own purposes. Remember, this is a government of choice of the government, not of us. Everything they're doing is illegal, but they don't care because once you steal the government, everything else is easy. It's like once you've committed murder, any other crime is, is pretty simple. Oh, gee, Greg, that's extreme saying they committed murder. Well, how many people have been killed or, murder, or how many people have been murdered by the illegal aliens that uh, the Brandon insurrection let in? And, and this is where that goes. So, yeah, they've committed murder. Uh, human trafficking, how many people have been killed in drug overdoses by fentanyl allowed to come into the country by the Brandon insurrection? That's murder. Premeditated, because they knew it was going to happen. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so let's, let's, I mean, I'm not laughing about that. I'm just laughing that it's such a, a crazy situation that, you know, no one who can is doing anything about it. So let's go back here. It says, Arizona, for the last two years, Arizona has made every attempt to work with Washington to address the crisis on our border. Understand this, folks. Washington does not want to fix this. They killed the border. They destroyed the border on purpose to bring millions of illegal aliens. That's what it's all about. In other words, they have caused an invasion. The very thing we have a military and laws to protect us from, they are causing. Gee, that's grounds for removing them, wouldn't you think? Huh? Maybe? We'll see if the gelding uh, uh, old party, the Republicans, will actually do that. Uh, when they you know, allegedly take power here you know, next month. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. That's my first thing. You know, how, how soon is the impeachment coming and removal and reversal of everything that's going on? Well, see how many uh, geldings we get and how much, uh, how many, um, see if they have any guts uh, between them. I tend to doubt it. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, uh, show me. <laughs> show me what you got. All right. So time and again, back to the governor's statement, we've, we've stepped in to clean up their mess. Arizonans can't wait any longer for the federal government to deliver on their delayed promises. I don't remember them ever promising to fix the border situation. I remember them promising to make the process faster for bringing people in, for making it uh, much more, uh, much easier to walk into the country, and that what they're really calling for is comprehensive immigration reform, which means taking millions of illegal aliens, defying all of our immigration policy, defying all our laws, and making them citizens, once again, illegally. That's their solution. So anything else is, you know, if you're expecting somebody to do something they promised not to do, it's kind of unrealistic, don't you think? It's kind of stupid and naive also. So why would you say that Arizonans can't wait any longer for the federal government when the federal government has no intentions of, of doing anything differently anyway? That doesn't make any sense unless it's just for politics. Then it says the governor's action comes just days after the Biden administration. Oh, sorry, I misspoke. Brandon insurrection lifted the remain in Mexico policy. This action is the latest in a series of misguided decisions related to border security by the federal government. Okay. So this is why I think this went on last year. I mean, I've seen something because the, the, the lifting of that policy was last year. 
And so then it goes on. Anything? Oh, here we go. Here's the Arizona border wall. Fortifying the border will be 60 double-stacked shipping containers reinforced with concertina wire at the top. I'm not sure why they use such a nice term like concertina wire, but that's nasty stuff. That makes barbed wire look, you know, kind of soft by comparison. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very different. So you got concertina wire. So in other words, you're not getting over. You know, even if you climb up the containers, you're not getting past the concertina wire. That's bad stuff. That will cut you up, cut you to shreds. It's nasty. Anyway, but uh, that's exactly what you need. Then it says the shipping containers will reach about 22 feet high. The state owns 8,800 pound, nine by 40 feet containers will be linked together and welded shut. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a border wall. So they're actually containing their border with containers. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I think it's great. So whoever thought it's in the Arizona state government, congratulations. Give yourselves a round of applause. This is very cool. I play my round of applause, but I think it's going to sound terrible. So I'm not going to do that right now. Besides, that official is probably not listening. Anyway, it's early out there. All right. So it says the state-owned 880-pound, 9-by-40-foot containers will be linked together and welded shut. The panels uh, of the border wall constructed during the Trump administration are 30 feet high. So they're actually building a higher, no, slightly less high. It's eight feet shorter, uh, but it's still a wall. Put a bunch of containers together with concertina wire at the top. That's a wall, folks. Uh, isn't it great? I, my only question is what took them so long? That's the part I don't understand. Anyway, it says construction began Friday morning on the 1,000-foot gap in the border near Yuma, Arizona. 1,000 feet. This is how close we came to getting a complete wall. I mean, if they started the wall, you know, a month earlier, if, if Trump had gotten the funding and starting it a month earlier, they would have a complete wall. We wouldn't have this mess, but, you know, that's just how it worked out, the gaps. And, of course, everybody's coming through the, the gaps to get into our country illegally. Emergency manage, uh, management contractor Ashbrit, I guess they're, building, they're bringing the containers in, is constructing the barriers. The 25-person team includes heavy equipment operators, operations supervisors, and a safety manager. The project will be completed over the weekend. So, yeah, this, this is moving pretty fast. This is the barrier mission delivers on the most meaningful border security legislation in Arizona history, which passed the Arizona legislature this year. And that would be uh, Wendy Rogers, who uh, is part of the Arizona legislature, who was on our show uh, a week ago, Thursday. It says of the $335 million investment in the Arizona border security fund to construct and maintain the border fence, it will take $6 million to fill the 1,000-foot gap in Yuma. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. National, oh, here we go. Here's a, here's a quote from somebody. See if I find who made this quote. Uh, this is from Jonathan Lines, Yuma County Supervisor. National security starts with the bo- starts with border security. Biden's border crisis deteriorates daily while the White House is silent. Border communities like Yuma bear the burden of a broken border while narcotics poison our youth. Human smuggling rises in mass amounts. Uh, human smuggling rises and mass amounts. Should put a comment in there. <laughs> and mass amounts of migrants wear on our nonprofits. Well, that's interesting. Beyond that, the seizure of counterfeit products. At our ports of entry affects American business. Governor Ducey has been a consummate partner, coordinating and leading state and local resources to do what the federal government won't, secure the border. Well, that's because the, government doesn't, the federal government doesn't believe in a border. Anyway, says the Yuma border gap is a notorious opening in the United States border. It's only 1,000 feet, right? How many people can get through 1,000 feet? A lot. 1,000 feet is 333 yards. That's like, uh, for all you shooters, that's three times, you know, the distance to your 100-yard range. That's a big gap. That's a gap. You can put millions of people through that. Anyway, the Yuma sector saw 2,300, no, 235,230 immigrant uh, migrant encounters from October 
2021 uh, to June 2022, an ominous acceleration for a sector which already experienced the highest yearly increase among all sectors in fiscal year 2021. So they had over almost a quarter million uh, illegal alien invaders in this one you know, place alone. Uh, so we got tough to read here, but that's, you get the idea. And I got, uh, I want to sort of move on to uh, drugs, people. Uh-huh, let's see if I see anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, here we go. So here's another quote. I'm glad to see our taxpayer dollars going to support our border communities, said Senate President Karen Fan. Is she the one that held up the Arizona audit? <laughs> Seems to me that name sounds familiar. So the, the state of Arizona uh, audited. Uh, the, the federal election, and they concluded, you know, that it was fraud on a whole bunch of levels, and then nothing happened. And they never disqualified the Brandon electors. Still waiting. Then she says Senate Republicans prioritized physical barriers this year to stop the flow of fentanyl, end human trafficking, and protect our citizens. Well, how about stopping illegal aliens? And she says, I'm grateful. She says, I'm grateful to, uh, oh, she's named Karen. <laughs> Sorry, that's funny. I had a post on Facebook where I said, uh, you know, how many uh, newborns are named Karen? <laughs> Or how many how many parents named the newborn newborn girl Karen? I, I just have a feeling that's one of the lowest name names used these days. Don't ask me why. I just have that feeling. All right. She says I'm grateful to work with Governor Ducey and my legislative colleagues to get the job done and secure the border. Uh, Republicans in the legislature made border security a priority in this year's budget, and I'm thankful to Governor Ducey for wasting no time in putting those funds to good use. And that's Representative Ben Toma T O M A. Improvements to the border wall will make our community is safer by combating human trafficking and stemming the flow of fentanyl into the state. Well, it's not just the trafficking and the, traffic and the fentanyl, folks. It's the illegal aliens. I mean, that's the big problem. Yeah, those other things are, are big problems, too. I mean, massive problems. But the main problem is the border is open. So what did the federal government say? Well, let's, let's find out. So here we go to the Arizona Central, AZ Central. And this is from Jose Ignacio Castaneda Perez, Arizona Republic. So obviously the the Arizona uh, AZ Central is a pretty liberal <laughs> news site just based on it says un- unauthorized placement. Feds say Ducey broke law with shipping container at border. Well, let's find out if they did. So we have a little video of Doug Ducey uh, talking about the shipping containers. Uh, there's pictures here of these shipping containers. Just imagine you've seen shipping containers uh, in the um, uh, the warehouse areas and the the uh, areas when they're once they come off the container ships, you know they stack too high. Well, that's what this looks like. Just imagine a bunch of containers stacked too high, um, you know, all along the border. That's that's a thousand feet of Yuma. That's what this looks like. Anyway, the article says, let me see if it gets Jose. Jose, what did Jose say? And this is from uh, October 14, 2022. So this is just, we're now 22nd, so last week sometime. And so the article said from the Arizona Republic says, the state's unauthorized placement of shipping containers to fill gaps along the Arizona-Mexico border wall near Yuma, Arizona, near Yuma by Arizona Governor Doug Ducey violates federal law. According to a letter sent to state officials by the Bureau of Reclamation. Now, if I were Governor Ducey and I get a letter from the Federal Bureau of Reclamation, <laughs> you know, I, that's the circular file, folks. That would not be a big deal. Because they have no jurisdiction. First of all, like I said, federal, the federal government has no jurisdiction over land uh, in the states unless it falls under those particular things in Article 1, Section 8. Anyway, it says the letter calls for the removal of the current containers and for any placement of new containers to stop. Oh, pound sand. Good luck with that. The article says the Bureau wanted to, to avoid interference with a recently awarded federal contract to close two border gaps, border wall gaps near the, Moral, the Morelos, M-O-R-E-L-O-S, Dam near 
Yuma. Damn near, D-A-M-N-N-E-A-R. So Morello's damn near Yuma. <laughs> the letters, they, I just find that funny. U.S. Customs and Border Protection awarded a contract to close two gaps, which are on Bureau of Reclamation land. Why did they do that? Wait a minute. How did, how did Customs and Border Protection uh, order a contract that's on another government department's land, allegedly, even though it's not? Hmm. And, and back to the article, and anticipates awarding another contract for the closure of two more gaps in the area. Well, yeah, the federal government will issue a contract, but they'll never start it. <laughs> we have a contract to close the border. And, and, and when's that going to start? Uh, it's not. <laughs> That's like uh, you know when the when the FDA approves Comirnaty, the uh, the alleged uh, you know safer and effective version of a snake oil jab. Yeah, well they they authorized they 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 approved it, but of course they don't make it. <laughs> you know, that's the funny part about it because that won't become under the experimental use authorization, and they might have liability for it. You know, some measure somehow, some way. And the one thing big pharma doesn't want is liability for their dangerous products. Anyway, back to the article. In July, Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas authorized the Customs and Border Protection folks to close the four gaps in the border wall near the Morales Dam to address operational impacts and immediate life and safety risks. Oh, sure he did. This guy that says there's no border problem, the border is secure, everything's fine. This guy who lies through his teeth or is completely delusional, he's either a moron or he's a complete liar. I tend to think he's a complete liar. I don't think he's a total moron, but, you know, there's... There's always that capacity. He says the unauthorized placement of those containers constitute a violation of federal law and is a trespass against the United States. That trespass is harming federal lands and resources and impeding reclamation's ability to perform its mission. Okay, what's its mission? <laughs> what is the mission of the Bureau of Reclamation? I'm going to look that up in a minute. The letter was found Thursday and sent by Jacqueline Gould, regional director of the Bureau of Reclamation's Lower Colorado Basin, to Alan Clark, director of the Arizona Division of Emergency Management, and Tim Rumer, director of the Arizona Department of Homeland Security. Where's, where's my letter? Not my letter there. Let's look at page one of my letter. That comes back into focus. This is actually kind of funny. Uh, so let me, let me get you. So this is what the, the – I have to blow it up a little bit. Hang on. Make bigger – Bigger, bigger. There we go. Now I can read it. Okay, so this is from the United States Department of the Interior, Bureau of Reclamation. See, this is a big problem, the Department of the Interior. There should be no Department of the Interior because the interior is made up of land that is, belongs to the states. So one of the first things you want to do is abolish the Department of the Interior, and we wouldn't have these problems. This is from Alan Clark, Director, Division of Emergency Management, Arizona Department uh, of Energy and Military Affairs. So that's where it's going. It's coming from Tim Romer, Director, Arizona Department of Homeland Security, 1700 West Washington Street, Phoenix. So they're actually in Arizona. Subject, placing of 122 shipping containers on the Bureau of Reclamation lands and rights of way in Yuma, Arizona. So that's the problem. Dear Messrs. Clark and Romer, on Friday, August 12, 2022, Arizona Governor Douglas Ducey issued Executive Order 2022-04, instructing the Arizona Department of Emergency, Emergency and Military Affairs, the DEMA, the D-E-M-A, through its Department of uh, Emergency Management to close the gaps in Arizona's southern border wall, regardless of location, which includes the gaps along the U.S.-Mexico border in Yuma County. The state then placed 80 shipping containers on the Bureau of Reclamation lands within the vicinity of Morelos Dam and 42 shipping containers on Reclamation rights-of-way. <laughs> Is that where the illegals come through, right? Within the exterior boundaries of Cocopa, that's C-O-C-O-P-A-H, Indian Tribes West Reservation. See, that's the problem. 
why do we have uh, American Indian reservations? So that's another issue. I, if I were the state of Arizona, I'd say, look, sorry, people shouldn't live on reservations. You have no jurisdiction here. But they don't. And then it says, it is our understanding that the Department of Homeland Security's Customs and Border Protection has been awarded a contract for closure of the two gaps. That's what they do. They say, well, we, we, you, don't have, you can't do this because we've got a contract to do this. And, of course, then they never fulfill a contract, right? I mean, I know how that game is played. And then it says here, where's, where's the key stuff? Then it says, to avoid interference with this federal agency contract, reclamation requests, yeah, requests, right, DEMA, uh, erase, no, cease further placement of shipping containers on federal or Indian trust lands. You are requested to work with reclamation in consultation with the Cocopa Indian tribe so that CBPs, people want to say Cocoa for Cocoa Pops, but I won't go there, so that CBP, CBP's project may proceed without unnecessary delay. That's a double without a necessary delay. They should have said without delay, but uh, they said, well, I guess unnecessary. All right, anyway, Reclamation will be reaching out to DEMA to discuss a way forward and request your cooperation in the removal of the containers. Now, think about that. The state of Arizona is doing what the federal government should be doing in protecting the state of Arizona and the rest of the country from illegal aliens by building a wall of shipping containers. The federal government wants to remove the shipping containers. Now, why would, what was the only possible purpose for removing the shipping containers? <laughs> you know, it's so they can let in more illegal aliens. So what they're really saying is, you can't stop us from bringing in more illegal aliens. Sincerely, Jacqueline uh, L. Gould, you know, PE, I guess that's uh, some kind of engineer, regional director. Oh, if you have any questions or concerns, please contact Michael Norris. Okay, I'm not going to give his phone number. You can read the article. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But that's, that's the situation, right? So that's where they are. The, the federal government is saying that you, the state of Arizona, cannot protect your own border because we're the ones who are supposed to be in charge, and you're interfering with us. And so, uh, you know, we, we have a contract anyway, so you're, you're violating our federal contract. Oh, give me a break. That is hysterical. All right, so let's go. Let's reduce that back to regular size so I can read the rest of the article. Uh, and there we go. All right, so and you know how this goes. Well, I have a very interesting article. Um, that I'm going to play, uh, that I'm going to read just a bit, that really sort of lays this out for you. First, I want to try and play one more thing and see if um, we're actually broadcasting properly. <laughs> I still don't know. Uh, we'll find out uh, when we get our first caller, probably uh, surely in about 15 minutes. So, yes, we've changed our schedule. Jim's left, so we, we're going to do uh, – oh, Amber Camper is supposed to be here. Uh, she's off this week. So Amber Camper and our Constitution Report will be back next week, hopefully. And we're, gonna, we're working on a split, like 45 minutes for Amber, 45 minutes for Shirley. But that has yet to be finalized as things are very much in flux here at Action Radio. Uh, be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. 
Stand Your Ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Action Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. All right, we're back. Let's uh, pull up my article here. This is a new uh, organization to me. It's called the Center for Renewing America. And so uh, definitely want to check these folks out. Policy Brief, How States Can Secure the Border. October 26, 2021. Ken Cuccinelli. Oh, we know him. (laughs) Um, If I remember correctly, I think... One of our reporters went to school with him. So Ken could, I got I know who to send this to. I'll, I'll, I'll mention it later. I, I don't know if that's private or public information. We'll find out. Anyway, it says, synopsis, the ongoing illegal immigration crisis has exploded into a full-blown national security and humanitarian disaster. With current activity representing unprecedented levels of illegal migration, human trafficking, and drug smuggling. The Biden administration, their term, recent reprimand uh, against Customs and Border Protection uh, horse agents falsely smearing them to the open borders wing of their political base has only escalated the crisis. It is clear that the Biden administration, again, their words, has no interest in pursuing the federal policies necessary to secure the southern border. Therefore, given the federal government's dereliction of duty, it is now incumbent on governors and states to fill the void and do what federal officials and lawmakers refuse to do, end the invasion at the U.S. southern border and restore both order and sovereignty. I'm just going to read the whole article because it's that good. The Constitutional Basis for State Action to Counter Washington's Dereliction of Duty. He says, the Constitution provides a firm foundation for states to act decisively in the absence of the federal government. First, the Biden administration has neglected its duties under Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution to protect the United States, her citizens, and communities being ravaged by this invasion of crime, drugs, and humanitarian crisis. Indeed, one can argue that the actions of the administration are effectively facilitating the abrogation of its own obligations. Yeah, I think I said that too. (laughs) Known as the Guarantee Clause, Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution states, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them from invasion and an application of legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. Therefore, governors, attorneys general, and state legislatures must take emergency measures beyond the scope of what has been attempted to this point to follow through on the primary function of government, (coughs) excuse me, protecting its citizens. The Constitution, <clears throat> I'm sorry again, here's another good point. The Constitution provides states an appropriate self-help remedy under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 that's of the Constitution, which stipulates that, and here we go, no state shall without consent of Congress lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state, 
or with foreign or with a foreign power or engage in war. And here's the key part, unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit delay. So there's the clause that very simply says, you know, that these states uh, and with Congress and the federal government not acting, they can act immediately if they're being invaded. Okay, there you go. Then it says there could be no disputing that the influx of well over 1.3 million illegal immigrants, which I will call aliens, this calendar year alone, and thousands of pounds of fentanyl and other deadly narcotics facilitated by the widespread human trafficking efforts of violent international drug cartels constitutes an invasion of the southern border of the United States. See, this is Carrie Lake when she wins the governorship. That's what she'll declare in Arizona. He says these cartels effectively have operational control over vast swaths of the southern border. Data provided by CBP in March 2021 estimated the cartels. And, okay, I'm going to skip that because I want to get down to his plan of action. Uh, it says governors and state legislators have a duty to their constituents, fellow citizens, neighbors, and families that undergirds, undergirds the oath they take to uphold the, both the United States Constitution and their respective state constitutions. That's very important. Yes, protection of our nation's borders constitutionally and even statutorily largely falls under the purview of our federal government. But our federal government is just not sitting idle as states and communities suffer. It is willfully refusing to enact the very policies and execute the very laws that can bring the crisis to an end. Then you go, it says the reality is that if the federal government refuses to faithfully execute its own laws, then the states have no recourse but to interpose themselves between the federal government and the people they have sworn to protect, that's their citizens, in order to achieve deterrence and the removal of illegal aliens. Let me say that again. The reality is that if the federal government refuses to faithfully execute its own laws, then the states have no recourse but to interpose themselves between the federal government and the people they have sworn to protect in order to achieve deterrence and the removal of illegal aliens. Then he goes about all the failings of the administration, but let me get to the strategy uh, in the time available, uh, how, how he, he says we can end this. Let's see how much of this article we have. Um, yeah, I'm not going to finish it. <laughs> it's a lot longer than I thought. Uh, but I think I might take, well, we'll see. I might take this up after. Uh, we'll see how I feel. Uh, I, might, I might make this the thing for, for Monday as well. So let me just get, he says, ending the border crisis, a three-pronged strategy to secure the border. The states have no choice but to leave. This begins with a declaration of invasion by Texas and other border states, invoking what are in essence the state war powers under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution. Aggressive policy action without hesitation must then follow. State leaders should hold the same regard for the approval and permission of federal officials that those same federal officials hold for the rule of law that they have abandoned. Below is the three-pronged state-based approach that will bring an end to the invasion at the southern border and force the federal government's hand at executing the laws they have been tasked with enforcing. These are the governors, the, leader, the leaders of the state response. I'll get through as much as I can in the next six minutes. He says, while the president serves as the commander-in-chief of the United States Armed Forces, it is sometimes overlooked that each individual governor serves as the commander-in-chief of their respective state's National Guard. As Governor Abbott has done in Texas, every governor should activate his or her guard units and send all available forces to the southern border. Some governors, such as Governors Ron DeSantis of Florida, this is where I am, and Pete Ricketts of Nebraska, both Republicans, of course, have already sent some additional personnel from their respective non-border states to bolster Texas efforts. More should join in this effort, and this activism should be the first action governors take. The second action governors should take is to immediately form a task force for the creation of an interstate compact 
on securing the border that makes explicit that states have the full authority to secure the borders of the United States, determines that a secure border is in the shared interest of each participating state, calls their respective state legislatures to endorse such a compact, and submits the compact to Congress for its consent. The state should not, however, wait for Congress to consent to the compact before acting. Indeed, congressional consent is not required for the actions that can, and, that can and should follow. Nevertheless, the constitutional protocol should be followed for the purpose of proposing a long-term solution to our porous border. Third, governors should issue an emergency call to the state legislatures to return to session, followed by an executive order outlining the absolute failure, failure and unwillingness of the federal government under Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution to protect the states from invasion. This should be followed by a clear justification statement under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 of the Constitution that already grants states their inherent war powers to repel invasions in the absence of federal protection. Indeed, while statute largely makes the border a federal responsibility, this is largely, not completely, okay, largely, right? It is imperative for governors to emphasize as part of these measures that the United States Constitution supersedes federal statute. And the Constitution makes clear that the state governments are not impotent should the federal government continue to willfully refuse to carry out its constitutional obligations to the individual states. Anyway, so let's see if I can get you a little bit more here. And that goes on what the governor should do. Attorney General, the defenders of state response. As governors move to protect their citizens and carry out the laws that the administration and federal government refuse to enforce, state attorneys general must act in tandem as the chief law uh, officers of their respective states. The fact is there is little, if any, case law regarding the exercise of the state's self-help provision of Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution. The goal of the state attorneys general should be to facilitate the beginnings of case law when it comes to federal, the federal government's abrogation of its responsibilities to protect border states from invasion. Then it goes into specific how they can do what they can do. Looks like Shirley's on the line right now. So let me uh, see. And then state, let, let me just get this last part here. State legislators, the force multipliers of the state response. As governors and attorneys general act to defend their citizens, it is up to state lawmakers to go on a f- offense to ensure that weaknesses are shored up and that policies are implemented to mitigate current and future gaps in border security. Concurrently, lawmakers should pass legislation that serves as a deterrent for illegal immigration in their respective states. Yeah, that would be my civil asset forfeiture bill, okay, if you're all listening out there in the country. It is critical, catch the podcast, it is critical that state lawmakers pass laws that protect their communities with a citizen-first agenda that sends a decisive message to illegal immigrants, aliens, what they should have said, and federal officials alike. In a regular or special legislative session, state legislators could immediately move to enact any and all of the following policies. Okay, he's got a bunch of policies there. Anyway, I'm going to hold this for now, and uh, let's see. Let's just do a quick check here. A little behind the times. Let me see if I can. Uh, uh, yep, yeah, let's bring on uh, Shirley. And before I play her theme, first of all, um, I don't know how much you were listening to before the show, but have you heard that Arizona has built a wall of, of shipping containers too high, welded together with concertina wire at the top. And the feds are saying, you can't do that. That's our responsibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. No, I did not hear or see that. Okay. When you get a chance to check out our, our podcast. Isn't that great? It's like awesome. Yeah. Totally awesome. Well, I think it's well, about 
I think you have to. If someone's not taking care of you, like you, I caught just, I haven't been on the air or listening to you very long. But okay. yes, I personally, you know, the uh, they need to protect their communities if the federal government's not going to take care of it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We had Wendy Rogers on, and I, she didn't mention this. Unless this is new, I, I thought I saw something in some of the articles that this actually started last year. They may have made a misprint, and it actually did start this year, in which case she may not have uh, uh, talked about it. But uh, this is fascinating. I love this. And, of course, the feds are saying, well, you can't do that. That's our responsibility. Well, the truth is it's not their responsibility um, because, all that, first of all, all that land is actually state land. We went over that in a previous show. And, secondly, there's nothing in the Constitution that says the feds have uh, you know, sole jurisdiction over the border. They simply don't. The only thing the feds have in the Constitution is to make uniform rules of naturalization so the states don't start you know, having 50 definitions for what, a, for what a citizen is. That's it. That's the only thing in the Constitution regarding uh, border security, which I find – or immigration. Uh, border security is actually in there, but immigration, that's it. Anyway, uh, well, let's see if you have any quick response knowing that you hadn't planned to talk about this at all. <laughs> and then I'll get your theme in the morning, friends. <laughs> No, no, no quick response. That's all knowledge to okay. me. I'm just, I'm learning. I didn't know all that, but you just told me right there. Yeah. Okay. That was a mouthful. And look at that. I've already learned. Well, I'm getting better with my, <laughs> I'm getting better with my, my instant recaps, <laughs> you know, compress 45 minutes of show into about uh, 12 seconds. All right, let's get your theme and let's get going. When one is faced with a crisis, you find your true character. How you react to such an emergency can determine the rest of your life. Two paths present themselves for you to choose. One leads to tragedy. The other leads to becoming a new person. Shirley Wattrell, a survivor of a dangerously abusive relationship, is that new person. She's the author of Heels to Holster. She is a firearms instructor motivational speaker, women's empowerment advocate, and a reporter for Action Radio. So now, here is the DC Project Women and Guns with Shirley Wattrell. Yeah, take it away, Shirley. <laughs> yeah, good morning. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do a quick definition of DC Project for anybody who's new and has not heard this yet. DC Project is a nationwide group of women. And what we're doing is we're coming together and fighting to preserve our Second Amendment. And once a year, all the state directors gather in Washington, D.C., and they meet with our legislators, which is what we did last month. Wow, it's been a month already. Yeah, time flies when you having fun. I know, and then good old Ian there kind of messed up any time zone. I don't know what happened to October. Sorry, might as well say it's close to, what, a week away from November almost? (laughs) Oh, um, yeah, anyway. well, we yeah, the 22nd today, I think. Oh, I know it was my birthday two days ago, so I'm I'm older. That's how I have that more mature oh, tone to my voice now. Hmm? Oh. Yeah. Oh, That's what happens when, when a guy's mature. Yeah. We sound older and deeper. Your voice gets deeper? I think okay. so. Sounds good well, to me. That's well, an excuse we'll do. <laughs> okay, well, actually, today is my birthday as well. Seriously? Um, oh, that's so funny. Because we're born, we're born three <laughs> days apart, different years, folks. Okay, different years. Don't don't you know? <laughs> Let's give you a, a quick round of applause. Congratulations. <laughs> now, did you? So, does this make you Scorpio or Libra, or are you on the cusp, as they say? Libra cusp. I'm on the. Okay, I'm good. a Libra. Okay. All right, good. So, actually, did you know that most talk show hosts are Libras? 
of the vast majority. I did not know that. Where in the yeah. world you gather that information? I, I gather, I, I, listen, I, I've got the Jeopardy brain. Okay? I've been compiling useless information since I was like, you know, four. Because <laughs> that's what I think when I started wow. watching Jeopardy and answering their questions. Yeah. So, yeah, it's true. It's uh, most of the majority of talk show hosts are Libras. Yep. We have the gift of gab. Huh. See, I knew oh, you were I, natural for radio. Now I know why. I, I, I don't, I can't, I don't consider myself with the gift of gab for sure. That's not, that's not how Stick I around. find myself. <laughs> Stick around. You'll catch it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's contagious. It is. It really, it's a proven fact. It's contagious. Gab is contagious. Oh, no. It is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, um, Anyway, so I am the Florida State Director for DC Project, and my goal, is, which every state director's goal, is to meet at the state capitol and meet with our legislators. So we're in the process of doing that. And I'm recruiting, well, anyone from any state, if any woman wants to join us, she can go to dcproject.info. And our other goal is to have fundraisers to help support our trips to DC and to the capitol which we'll talk about later because I, well, it's a ways off, but I have a fundraiser coming up in March, it's a sporting clay fundraiser here in Collier mm. County. So Wonderful. we'll talk about that as that gets closer. Um, but anyway, so what I do every Tuesday, I post a, what we call Teal for 2A. I call it Teal for 2A Tuesday. Teal is actually DC Project color. And so I call it Teal for 2A Tuesday, in which the story is about someone that used their firearm to defend themselves, their family, and their loved ones, and it saved lives. Because lots of times the anti-gunners want you to know that guns only take lives. That is not true. So this week, our story takes place in Louisiana at Livingston Parish. It's in the beginning of October. It's a Monday morning at 2 a.m. The... This has been a little bit unusual for the ones I, I have gathered before because the intruder was a woman. Yeah, that's different. Women don't commit anywhere near the crime, so that's uh, now I'm curious. Yeah, what, what are the exactly. what are the circumstances? Yeah. Well, the intruder is 23 years old. But I'm not going to give her name. We talked about that. We don't give names. Nope. Um, no fame for the guilty. 23 years old. Yeah. You're right. And the Livingston Parish Sheriff Jason Ard said the homeowners were sleeping. Several popping noises under their carport area startled them awake. They then learned an armed female suspect gained entry into their home by breaking their back door window. He added the homeowner was legally armed inside their residence and fired at the suspect who was inside without permission. They were shot twice in the leg and hip. The intruder was taken to the hospital, later released, and faces charges that include aggravated burglary, theft of a motor vehicle, so I'm sure they've been busy doing other things, illegal use of weapons, and burglary from a vehicle. The homeowner was not injured during the whole thing. So there we have a story of how someone used their firearm. Do we know if the homeowner was was male or female? Do we we know if the, the, the person to defend was male or female? The who? The homeowner? There's not the, the person, say. Yeah. Uh, homeowner, so I'm thinking it's probably a couple. Okay. They did, I'm just going to guess what that So one. who actually fired in self-defense? Yeah, I don't know who if they were a male or female that fired in self-defense. Uh, I don't have that information. But the reason I'm curious is uh, would... Uh, men, even in defense of their home and family, be more reluctant um, or less likely to, uh, you know, have to shoot a woman. 
even though that woman is invading their home and presenting a huge, you know, a life-threatening danger. I'm just curious. These are the things that come to mind as I'm, as I'm listening to this, because this is a, this, a, well, this is a different case. At 2 a.m., yeah. would you even know? Well, That's a good point. You know, because yeah. your, your reaction time, someone broke into my house, mm-hmm. and obviously they're there illegally. Obviously, they're mean to do harm, whether it's to steal, hurt, kill, whatever. So mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that even comes into play until maybe afterwards you might go, mm-hmm. didn't realize it. Because, you know, when that adrenaline goes, things yeah. just happen quickly. Or no, I, I just, I mean, like I say, things <laughs> pop into my head as, you're, as we go through these stories, and I'm, and I'm just curious. The other thing um, that, that comes to mind is, is, is there a rise in crime rates among women? Uh, I don't know if you have any crime statistics. But are, are you know more proportion are more women engaging in crime that might not have 10, 20 years ago, given the fact that more people are engaging in crime. Period, uh, due to our defunding police and uh, uh, incredibly lax attitude towards authority, respect, civility. You know, um, all the things we used to think were, were normal for people to have you know respect for each other and that kind of stuff. That's all gone. Uh, do you have any figures on yeah, that? Yeah, just, or have you looked just at that? based on. Right, just based on what you said, because crime is increasing, I'm sure women, uh, their rate of the criminals are increasing as well. But I don't know how drastic, I don't have any numbers on that. But that's yeah. true, crime is increasing. And, you know, we can just roll right into it. After a disaster like Hurricane Ian, uh-huh. I know um, Sheriff in Lee County, um, Mar- what's his name? Mar- I know who you mean. Yeah, I think I know what's coming on. I can't Carmen. wait to hear this. Carmen. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I have to look that Live up. Live radio. Well, I'll, um, I'll look it up. You can tell the story. <laughs> what, what's the county? Well, Lee County. All right, I'll I, find it for you. Dang, I even I even know it's going to be law enforcement in Collier County. Um, I <laughs> know the live radio. First name's Carmine. <laughs> Carmine. But anyway, he um, he's doing an awesome job up there. You know, Fort Myers got hit really bad. And he just has a post on the Lee County Sheriff's Office. And it's Marcino, Marcino. It's, it's called Marcino Motel. Marcino Motel. I think that's his last name. And he has pictures of all the looters that have been arrested. And there's like 30-some on this one page. Oh, wow. Cause, yeah, because they're not, they're not, you know, they have curfews. If you're out there found looting, they arrest you. There's no, no ands, ifs, or buts about it. So yeah, there's like 30 pictures of the you know the mug shots on there, and it's called Marcino Marcino Motel. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Is that what the jail um, is? But I thought that was Sheriff. Oh, here we go. Here's I got Sheriff Carmine Marcino. <laughs> Carmine. <laughs> He's Italian. So it's called Marcino Motel. my county. <laughs> this is great. Carmine, go get him, dude. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. If I'm you go to their here. website. Go to their website and you'll see, not their website, go to their Facebook page and you'll see the picture. It's pretty cool. And then, you know, he's like another uh, uh, another one of the sheriffs, um, Grady Judd, you know, calling it uh-huh. like it is and taking care of business. So, but anyway, we're getting into that, you know, crime rate is increased wherever there's a, a, some kind of devastating thing that happens like yeah. the hurricane. And it's, you know, people come out and they help, but also so do the criminals. So do the, the people that want you to think they're going to legally help you, like contractors. That's another thing that kind of came up, contractors. Oh, that's you know, they're coming in from out of state. 
but they're right. not even really contractors. But yet, so the the state is trying to clamp down on those so they don't do work that's not legit or they don't just take the money and run. And some people are looking at that as it's a negative because there's so many people that need help. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that have gone through it with Irma and said, yeah, I had that incident where someone from out of state came and helped and they're, my roof is still leaking and they're not going to come hmm. back and fix it. There's no guarantees. No. They got their money. They're out of there. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of um, people that aren't very nice. Let's put it that way. But then yeah. you have a lot of volunteers out there that just are doing whatever they can to help people out. Yeah. So I think the looters. You know, the devastation uh, brings good and bad yeah. in people. Oh yeah. Oh, I, you know, I remember after the San Francisco earthquake, it was the you know the best of times, the worst of times, as Charles Dickens said. You know, in a tale of two cities, you had uh, we had a neighborhood uh, the power was out. Uh, I mean, everything was out. The gas was out. The power was out. The electricity was out. The phones were out. Everything was out. Uh, in the earthquake, and, and we didn't get any warning. I mean, this just happened. When an earthquake hits, it just hits. And so, uh, our first thing we're thinking, okay, well, all the perishables in the in the refrigerator are going to be going be bad in a few hours. So what are we going to do now? So we had a barbecue. Uh, our local grocer brought out charcoal, and we all brought our barbecue, so little hibachis and anything we, we could cook on outside that didn't require electricity or gas. And you know, we, we had a great barbecue, and we we partied for hours because the only lights because <laughs> all the lights were out too. The city's completely dark, right? So the only lights that we were getting from our hibachis and our flashlights and our AM uh, radio, you know, with batteries, and that was that was how we stayed in contact. But the looters came out, you know, and the police ran by my place, you know, with guns drawn, chasing looters. I mean, so it was it was for real, and so that's why I say, you know, people they do they take advantage of these situations. But if I remember right, there was a story that many of the looters in Florida. Uh, around the hurricane path of Ian uh, are illegal aliens and they're getting a disproportionate number of illegals. Have you heard about that? Yeah. Yeah, we have those and we have those coming in from Adams are here legally and they're coming from other states. There was a couple from New Jersey, I think that, you know, that got caught and they even had kids in the car. Come on. Oh, <laughs> Let's go where, shop where at Hurricane Ian. This, you know. Where was, where did you say this took place when you were, Doing your oh, San Francisco, eighty nine, nineteen eighty nine, San Francisco earthquake, oh, nineteen eighty nine. You were younger, <laughs> much younger. <laughs> yeah, a couple couple years younger. Yeah, um, yeah. but that's then we're gonna we're just loop around because you know we always talk about firearms and self defense because when you have looters and when you have a situation like this, you want to be able to defend yourself because yep. let's face it, law enforcement is stretched thin right now. They're working 12-hour shifts to do their job and continue to do what they normally do, plus do all this added uh, work. Uh, I know we had law enforcement, and I thank all of them that came down from other counties and I think even other states to help out. Mm-hmm. But they can't be everywhere. So that's why it's even more critical that you learn how you train and you learn how to defend yourself. Um, so, Do you have some stories yeah. of that? Are there stories of, of people defending themselves against looters with firearms? Here locally? Uh, anywhere, no. any, anywhere in the path of Hurricane Ian. I'm just curious. Well, I haven't found any yet. I haven't found any yet. That's funny. Mm-hmm. These stories, you know, like this story I just gave was from October 5th, and I found mm-hmm. it what last week because I try to post it the week, you know, week prior in case I get really backlogged with something that's always automatically mm-hmm. posted. But these stories take a while to get surface. It seems to be. They look like that? it's going to be front page. Now, why isn't do you that think interesting? that is? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> let, me, let me put your deductive reasoning powers to work here. Shirley, why do you think that is? 
<laughs> yeah, they don't want you to know about that. You have to dig for it to get it. It's not going to be on the top of their list to post about. But anyway, I have little. Sometimes I have trouble finding uh, current stuff. It's usually older stuff. I'm like, there's got to be current stuff, but it. No, actually, it doesn't matter. It's it's right. still important that the the, the facts of the uh, of these cases don't change. The fact that you have uh, have to take time to find them and have to dig for them is really indicative of of a, of a false narrative portrayed by the leftist media that says that guns can't save lives. So anything they can do to make your life harder to find those stories, they're going to do. I mean, that's exactly. how I see it. So I don't care if the stories are six months old, a year old. I don't care if they're ten years old. It doesn't matter. It's still gun saving lives, and it's still important. And it's still because you're saying it now. You're saying it today, and people are listening to it today. You know, think of the people that have emergencies right. in other countries that don't. You know, like I said, we have a lot of listeners in Canada, Australia, and England, and they can't own firearms anymore. So when they have a natural disaster and they get looters, they're stuck. That, that's true. That's true. And it's just another point that it's important that not only that you learn how to defend yourself, you get a firearm, you learn how to use it properly, but also take the next step and do do what it takes to defend that second amendment because let's face it it's not people are attacking it whether it jo- you join DC project if you're a woman or you join Florida carry or uh gun owners owners of America whoever you know take us they all need support we all need support because it's very important that we defend our second amendment just in uh, another big story that that came up um, is you might have I don't know if you heard about it. It's the Ronald Reagan black tie blue jeans barbecue. It's a big um, uh, it sounds familiar, but I don't know the details. So tell me. So Governor DeSantis is speaking there. Oh, yeah, I have heard this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, this is it. I don't know the details, so this is interesting. But, yeah. Yeah, when you purchase a ticket, then you get a notification that. Uh, you cannot carry. You cannot conceal carry at the event. They will be. You'll be going through one of those, you know, TSA metal detectors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that became a big thing because we know Governor DeSantis defends our Second Amendment and our right to carry. And so the big thing came out. But from what I understand, it was more the uh, FDLE, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, right, that saying that you can't carry it's not a ruling by governor DeSantis and I know Florida Carey wrote a letter to to the governor I have not heard yet what his response was if that changed or not because this information didn't come out until after you bought the ticket I don't know how much the tickets are I'm Mm -hmm. like wow yeah think about that too but everybody's pointing it at the governor and from what I understand it's not his decision at that time it was it had to do with uh, whoever's probably handling his uh, security i guess you know whether it's well i understand whoever. that if anybody wanted well but i also understand well let's support this in a couple of different ways one you, you want to keep the governor safe um because that's you know we you know and somebody who might be likely to do something this might be an event where they think they can do something publicly get the fame get the notoriety and uh you know hurt our governor so I can understand why they're worried about that. However, if you have a room full of concealed carry holders, they're not going to get very far. In fact, they may not get anything you know, accomplished in terms of violence simply because there would be a whole bunch of concealed carry holders there. So that's another way of looking at it. Um, also, what they're saying is, is that uh, they don't trust concealed carry holders. 
you know, they trust us to go into stores and banks and restaurants and, uh, you know, and all our daily business, but we can't go in post offices. <laughs> we can't go in schools. We can't go in government places. So it's really interesting. The government protects itself from the law abiding gun owner who is probably one of the best friends that, uh, you know, police can have when there aren't other police around, you know, it's your law abiding gun owner that's uh, or concealed carry holder. That's going to come do something hopefully. Um, but it's just interesting uh, rather than, eliminate concealed carry, why don't they screen the people who are going to the event? I can't imagine this is a wide open event. You know, you know, couldn't you run, like run, run a background on, uh, rather than, you know, do everybody, you know, run a background and see if any convicted felons or, you know, or are people with a record are buying tickets. I don't know if that's an well, invasion no, of privacy be, either. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah. How, how would, it, it, it was a public event. You could, mm-hmm. the, oh, it was open to the public to buy. And then Florida mm-hmm. Carey pointed that out, that legally you cannot, you know, restrict the concealed carry holder. And mm-hmm. so what they did, you know what they did? They closed the event. Now it's a closed event. <laughs> like, oh, oh, which they can do. But it, it goes, yeah, to, it, it's, it's interesting. That, I mean, you've yeah. got to give credit to, to the Florida Carey putting that out there. And, and, mm-hmm. and uh, okay, so now it's a closed event. So I'm like, <laughs> all right. So if it's, a, so if it's a closed event, they can screen the people, I would think. Exactly, and that's why they close it now. Yeah, but can, yeah. yeah, that's kind of cheesy to for people that purchase tickets unless you're going to give them a refund. You know, they don't want to go if they can't, they can't protect themselves because that person that wants to do our governor harm is going to do it illegally. So I'm sure they, you know, they'll find a way. It's it's not like they're going to follow the rules and say, oh, can't commit crime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what you could do is what they might do. I'm just thinking, how would you do this? If someone, you know, is concealed carrying and I don't know, could you, and I was exploring, I haven't thought this really through yet, but could you make it so that if someone is concealed carrying at an event where the governor is present, uh, they just declare it and, uh, say, okay, you know, um, or, yeah, no, that wouldn't be good. There's no, I guess there's no way to do it. I'm trying to think of a way, you know, cause it, I understand the heightened security cause the governor's there. I mean, that just makes sense. However, you know, we still have our rights. Those rights don't go away because the governor's there. And so that's a, you know, do you do a background on people that are concealed carrying? Say, okay, you know, do they have to warn ahead of time that they want to conceal carry? I'm thinking these are all invasions of privacy. So is there a way to do this uh, and have it work out for everybody? I think they should be allowed to conceal carry, governor or not. On the other hand, you're going to have security, but you have security anyway. You know, in fact, if nobody's concealed carrying, that does, that does not remove any danger because it's a public event. So the danger is the same whether exactly. people are concealed carrying or not. And the law-abiding concealed carriers are no danger to anybody. In fact, they're, you know, the protectors. This is why we do it, to protect ourselves and other people. So let me, let me think about it. I'm, I'm thinking out loud. This is why it's interesting. But does that make sense that whether people are concealed carrying, law, if, whether or not you have law-abiding concealed carriers, the danger to the governor doesn't change? Exactly. You're not going to change. You're not going to change your procedure because you're saying people cannot carry within the event. You'd, yeah. you'd just be the same procedure, I would think. Yeah. So you can have exactly the same set up prior. Yeah. Because the, the and, uh... and I, I... Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, now is this an event where they're screening for guns? Because a lot of events they do that with the governor. Certainly with the president. You ever been to a Trump rally? They're amazingly carefully screened, <laughs> and they should be. You know, I mean, imagine he's had you know tons of death threats. So, can you carry? No. 
no, there's metal screening. Uh, there's a, there's, you go through a metal screener, and I don't know if they did pat-down searches. or well, I think they probably did if they were suspicious, yeah. Yeah, this is huge security for a Trump event. What's that? Okay, what if you were carrying? Well, then you're, you're actually being pointed out, too. That's not good either. If you're carrying, you just have to show that you are illegally, you have a concealed carry license, but then you're being pointed out, you know, being, yeah. So would they watch the concealed carry? Well, I can say it's a dilemma, and this is what happens when we think out loud, you know, to do these things. But it's, it's kind of interesting to sort of go over the, the parameters. We've got the Constitution, and we want to protect the governor. But that's my contention. Right. The governor is in no more danger, uh, whether legally, law-abiding. In fact, he's probably in less danger with a whole bunch of concealed carriers in the place. The only problem I is agree. his guards, if somebody, you know, draws a gun, in anger or in a threat of violence and a whole bunch of other guns come out, how does security know which one was the bad person? The concealed carrier, exactly. the concealed carrier people know who the bad person is because it's everybody other than the concealed carriers, <laughs> you know, who are lawfully doing it. But that's, that's the scenario. So I understand law enforcement's position. However, you know, freedom has responsibility and you can't take away freedom just because, you know, it's, it's convenient. Hmm. A dilemma. What do you think? It you is. Think? No, I agree. Yeah. Hmm. It, it, it is. It is a uh, interesting concept because you're right. You want to you want to do what's right. You want to keep keep the governor safe. But yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Having people that carry in probably I feel a little safer because mm-hmm. uh, then you know the good guys have firearms that are going to defend the evil. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, nobody has a firearm and just the evil person does. Um, yeah, it, and the people it's a dilemma. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And people have a, an assumption because of the conditioning of, of the leftist media that gun owners have the potential to do really bad things simply because they have a gun. You know, it's like, uh, you know, what they've outlawed or, or had a huge tax and made it impossible to have fully automatic firearms. Well, why? Well, because they can kill a whole bunch of people. Well, yeah, so can an SUV. We don't stop selling them. You know, just because it can do something doesn't mean that it's going to be done with that thing by a law-abiding person. In fact, the whole definition of a law-abiding person is they're not going to do that. That's true. You know, yeah. I mean, would I carry a fully automatic firearm? Probably not, because I wouldn't. It's a, it's a, they're not good enough uh, with with the selectivity. <laughs> there was an experiment done. Actually, I don't know if you if you've seen. No, in other words, it's, it's harder to control. I mean, if you have to defend yourself, you want to be oh, very specific. You're because you're responsible for every bullet, right? Well, so would you would you carry I, a fully automatic firearm? No, it, it'd be awkward. Here? I mean, I, I love I love firing them. There's no that's. Great. I would do that. I haven't done it yet. I I want to try it. Yeah. 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 But it's a practical matter. You haven't? I have not fired a fully automatic firearm. I'm going to. Oh, my God. Okay, I'll get there. Oh, you do. You need to get there. It's just the the most. Here, I'll tell it. It's on the woman's side of it. Story. Go ahead. I see a general manager at a gun club. And we'd have our every once a month we have a woman's training, and mm-hmm. we'd just get together and we do drills and stuff. And one of our members brought fully automatic uh, weapons in. Uh, mm. Oh my gosh! Every one of them that shot, you could see you know, they turn and they you know, have a huge smile on their face. It's just, it's just <laughs> I'm you're sure controlling this thing, and it's just yeah. amazing. It really mm-hmm. is. And unless and, and you know people are gonna probably say bad things about me but unless you do it and try it you can't can't say it you can't say it's bad i mean it's just this feeling that you get it is pretty cool 
Um, but no, I wouldn't carry one, you know, unless I was in an army or military. And that's different. Yeah, they definitely um, they have a use. But on the other hand, would I make them illegal? No. You know, I would say carrying a firearm is carrying no. a firearm. Now, would a normal, responsible, or would it be a, a practical thing to carry an AK-47 full auto uh, as opposed to a concealed Glock or a SIG handgun? I think most, almost all gun owners, uh, just out of practicality and, uh, and, and non-threatening you know, to the public, would probably carry a concealed handgun over an exposed AK-47 full auto. The AK-47 was not chambered. Uh, in other words, there wasn't a round, you know, in the chamber ready to be fired. Uh, the safety was on, and it was pretty much, you know, innocuous that, but you could drop it, throw it, do whatever you want. There ain't no bullet in the chamber. It ain't going to fire um, until the uh, until the actions work. But uh, as a practical matter, I wouldn't carry one even if it was – it is, perf- you know, where it's perfectly legal just because because of the reaction. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I, I, I can do pretty well. I might carry two handguns as a, you know, compared to one automatic rifle just because now if I'm going to a looting situation, if I'm defending my home against a whole bunch of yeah. looters, you know, a fully automatic firearm might be the perfect thing for that situation. So you might want to own one just in case, but as a, but right. I think carrying one would be impractical for a bunch of reasons. Like you said, there's a practicality to everything. And mm-hmm. firearms I feel forget that. Different. Yeah. 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 Well, just one even, more quick even point. Even vehicles that you drive, you know. Yeah. Even to, you can count that into the vehicle as well as firearms. Yep. You know, which which vehicle? If you have a couple of vehicles, you know, do you want to drive your sports car into the flooded district, or are you going to take nope. your your four wheel drive truck? You know, uh-huh. what's more practical? Yeah. Well, actually, funny you should say that when the show really takes off, I have a few cars in mind that I want to get: Jaguar XKE. Uh, I want a Pontiac Firebird convertible, uh, early one, like 60s, uh, and uh, a couple of other, this like a really nice BMW from the 70s, and I want the, that 308 GT Ferrari that Magnum PI drove in, in Hawaii. I want that one. <laughs> and that's, that's a more practical Ferrari. But here's the thing, too. What you've, I really, when you're talking about firearms, that dirty little secret that people don't want, the left doesn't want you to know, full auto, I can imagine it's really a blast. Yeah, and you're talking about the controlling all that power. Um, that's why, I mean, I've, I've sailed racing sailboats. I was on an America's Cup racing sailboat, and they let me steer it. They, they, they gave me the helm. I'm here to tell you, this thing was as fast as a speedboat. It was unbelievable to have that much power, have like a 60-foot boom you know, or mast and these enormous sails. And here I am on San Francisco Bay whipping across the water, and I've got the helm. I'm going to tell you, that was fun. Um, flying airplanes, I sold an airplane at 16. Same thing. I'm controlling a very, you know, complex piece of machinery for a 16-year-old, and I'm up there by myself. Ain't nobody going to help me. <laughs> you know, that was empowering beyond anything I can think of. Uh, and so these things firing full auto, it's all the same thing. And why we restrict people from that, it's like, but we should talk about it openly and honestly, that this is a really fun thing to do. You're going to feel empowered. You're going to feel great. You're going to feel euphoria. You're going to feel something really extraordinary. So let's let you uh, experience that. What do you think? And do you think that some of the, these, yeah, I, I agree. Do you think some of these, these people that are anti-gun or anti-Second Amendment, do you think there's a little bit of uh, resistance to actually try it because they might like it and they might find the, the, the enjoyment of controlling something like that and being yeah. able to defend themselves? Or they're projecting, I think you're absolutely right, or they're projecting and they realize that they can't control it, that they are so afraid that they couldn't be responsible. And those are the kind of people that should not drive sports cars, should not fly airplanes, should not own firearms, and should probably just stay at home. 
Yeah. Don't don't endanger the rest of us. You know, but yeah, yeah. Pianca's on the line. Looks like he might have a question for you, too. And I want to make sure we get to your story. So, about 15 minutes left before Derek gets here. And Pianca, do you want to add to our discussion? I think they like controlling people. Oh. Rather than a gun. And and firearms represent independence, don't they? Shirley? I think he's got a really good point. Oh, he does. That's perfect. Yeah. Okay. More stories for us? Because when you, when you, oh, go ahead. Huh? No, I said more stories. Because when it comes down to it, it, it yeah. does go down to control. You know, whether it be the government or other people trying to, to control others. Um, yeah. You're absolutely so those right. Are, so those are probably the same people, and I'll ask both of you this question, that want to take your car away and put you in an electric car and then not let you charge it. The same people that don't want you living in a single-family home. They want you in a, in a planned community with mass transit. The same people that are doing everything possible that are flooding our country with people that shouldn't be here. You know, it's uh, as a way of controlling us by having people come here who don't believe in the freedoms that we all believe in. I mean, it's, it all comes down to freedom and control. Everything does it ultimately. Who wants control and who wants freedom? Exactly. And the way they mm. present it, some people are going to go, oh, that makes total sense. But mm-hmm. it really doesn't if you really think about it. Well, that's what we try to do. Pianchi, you ever fired a fully automatic uh, firearm? Yeah, Thompson. Oh, now that'd be a blast. What do you think, Shirley? Have you ever fired a Thompson? Um. No, I fired, I forget what it was called, because they did some military training when I was the director, when I was a manager there, and they Uh let me shoot some really cool stuff. I just can't remember what they all were. (laughs) (laughs) You fired so so many autos, uh, you just can't remember. Well, the ones I want to fire would be an M16, which is the military version of the AR-15, the fully auto version. I want to fire an AK-47, and I want to fire an Uzi. And after that, that, that would do it. I'd be happy with those. Or maybe a fifty, you know. Oh, maybe maybe, uh, maybe for your next birth, maybe you can work on that for your next birthday. Okay, that sounds good. Well, and you know, okay, we gotta get the show a little bit bigger. We're still under amazing censorship right now, and so this is why it's really important for everybody to share the show. I didn't realize how much uh, one of our new reporters, uh, Dorothy Diana, who does the Sex and Sensuality Report on uh, Mondays, your, your your cafe buddy, although you guys haven't met yet, <laughs> we're gonna get you on for a coffee show. Um, she told me that uh, all her posts get all kinds of. Uh, um, you know, viewings and things like that, except our show. That's the one that gets really restricted. Hardly anybody sees it, so she has to tell people. You know what? I never paid any attention to that. I'm going to have to go back and look to see how many. But I do know um, even like DC Project Florida, all, when the women mm-hmm. join, they get vetted, and then we have our own private Facebook page. And mm-hmm. it seemed like we, recently not as many people are responding. So we're looking for uh, we're going to start a different oh. way of communicating because I'm going why why am I not getting people viewing this and you know I'm asking okay because if I'm having an event in Titusville I say hey anyone in Titusville want to help me out and come by for a few hours and maybe two people would you know like it and I'm like oh I got more than that where is it? How, are they not getting it or are they just so I'm thinking no it's called shadow banning probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we're going to find we're using another form of communication that I'm working on that actually DC project is working on the whole the whole group uh, nationwide is working on. Um, So anyway, Mm. yeah, I'm sure that's 
that's a possibility. Oh, we're working on stuff too. In fact, uh, social media is one of the, the, the least effective places for us to go. I post stuff there because it's convenient and I can post all the stories if anybody's interested. I usually pre-post uh, things that I'm going to be covering on the show. Um, but as far as reaching people, no. No, it's, it's being done word of mouth. People are telling each other. Uh, and the show's growing. It's just not growing as fast as it would if we could go viral on social media. That would be a huge difference. So all these shows that we're doing, I think they're going to become very popular once we can break through the shadow banning and people will go back through and go, wow, there's a lot of really good stuff here. That's what I'm hoping anyway. We shall see. But look, I had, it, you know, I'm getting there, amazing people on the show. Another, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Is there another form of social media other than Facebook that I know? I'm on one that's, um, what's it, social choice or choice social. Um, oh. I don't do much on there. Oh. Yeah, I've um, tried like True Social and Getter and uh, uh, some of the other ones. They're not as good, but I should get on Instagram. That would help. And I, I tweet out, in fact, um, I'm on Twitter. I tweet out every, I've been tweeting out every show since we started four years ago. Oh, I don't tweet. And it's, we're, we're shadow banned there too. You know, well, here's the thing. Before COVID, uh, when I used to uh, put a show on, on the Action Radio with Greg Pangloss page, and that's the place you can go on Facebook. That's, our, that's like our, our show page. Uh, and I don't put much there anymore. I used to put all my political stuff and have my personal page for, like, you know, barbecues, you know, fun stuff. But I took it off the, the, because the Action Radio with Greg Pangloss Facebook page was so badly censored, was so restricted. We used to have four, five, six thousand views of a show. And this is when we were really small. All right. And and then as soon as I announced that uh, chloroquine kills COVID, the vaccine's not necessary. This is all a government hoax. I went from from thousands of views to like five <laughs> the next day. Oh, like, wow. Oh, no, it was very dramatic. And I, I can point out, you know, if I could get a, a history and I noticed that as soon as I made that broadcast, you know, and I also wrote a bill that Congress can only spend half the money. Uh, on uh, vaccines, the other half have to, has to be spent on early treatments. This is in February of 2020. That's how far ahead we were at Action Radio. We knew, we knew, we just we just knew, you know. And all of us got we were talking about this. Ah, this is wrong. Fauci's evil. This is a big problem. And we were that was part of the plan was to restrict information. And one of the first places they restricted by algorithm they found us was us. And then we started getting then I started getting canceled. I got 30 day suspensions, 90 day suspensions. I'd do the same post three times. They'd give me three 90 day suspensions concurrently. You know, that, that was like <laughs> nine were, months. You were in jail a lot, weren't you? Oh, I, I, well, I was a political prisoner. See, it's, I, I'm not in jail. I didn't do anything wrong. They did. Right. So they made me right. a political right. So I phrase it this way. They made me a political prisoner. Now we're breaking through. Look at the people we have on the show. We had Wendy Rogers last week. I had Peter Navarro last week. You know, you know I'm hoping to join with the Trump campaign, you know, when it starts. Uh, officially, uh, and uh, supply them with a bunch of our citizen legislation and have you all meet, uh, and hopefully President Trump will call the show and you all can chat with him. That's my goal. Yeah, that's, I, I, yeah. I won't announce it ahead of time because I don't want the lines flooded. And, and not, you know, but uh, one day, don't be surprised. Well, you will be surprised. I'll be surprised too. But it, it's going to happen. We've got his number two guy. We had Peter Navarro. He talks to Trump daily. Yeah. I mean, I mean yeah, how, how, how much? Go ahead. And bringing that up, even meeting with legislators, the people you might not have met, we might not have met with a congressman or a congresswoman, but we met with their, their aides or their, mm-hmm. their directors of legislation, and that's even more important at times. And yep. so you, you've got a good good contact right there. Oh, um, hell yes. And I have contact. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. Go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I do, I do that. I get so excited when I talk about this stuff. Not only that, we I know, have friends. <laughs> We have, yeah, exactly. We have friends in Washington that are helping us. We have, uh, there are people helping the show. 
So despite the fact that we're, we're incredibly censored, you know, there are folks that uh, are helping us. Uh, that's how I got on Emma Robinson's uh, national show on Lindell TV. So there's a contact. We're talking. Uh, that's how I've got Peter Navarro. And uh, I haven't been able to, to reconnect with him, but it's only a matter of time. You know, and then from there, it's only a matter of time before Trump comes on the show. If, uh, you know, because I, I said our bills that we talked about, I actually got to talk about citizen legislation with Peter Navarro. I mean, how cool is that? You know, three bills. Vaccine that, that, uh, product that. liability, censorship, big tech censorship, and our constitutional amendment to uh, stop us from borrowing money. That's history making. To be able to do, present citizen legislation to one of the top you know, government officials in the country, or at least he was, and will be again. Exactly. That's, that's mind-blowing, I think. See, you're, for me. you're doing it right. You are. It is. It is. It's happening. Definitely. I was nervous. Though. I, <laughs> Josie knows it, too. She says, were you nervous on that interview? Yeah. So the very few times I got nervous on the show, because uh, I wanted to make a really good impression. And uh, he listens. He see, you know, hopefully he'll take those bills to the president, and he'll be on, and uh, it will be a big part of the campaign in the next couple of years. And then DC Project, you know, hopefully you guys, uh, you know, we can connect everybody together and you could be, you know, advisors on gun policy, especially towards women. And so this is going to be huge. This is where we're going. Exactly. I mean, it's just, everything's pointing. You're, you're, doing, you're doing an awesome job. You're getting well, out thank there. Thank you. You're doing your thank thing. Thank you very much. You are. Yeah. Yeah. No budget either. That's the funny part. We have no budget. <laughs> I have a computer, a microphone, you know, and a headset. Well, a lot of, you know, a lot of ideas. That's all it takes. <laughs> well, apparently, it's apparently so. Well, you know what's really interesting, too, and this is something you might want to think about, too, is expanding DC Project, because we have so many new listeners in Canada, Australia, and England, and those countries are completely oppressed in terms of their firearms rights. They don't even have them. So maybe that's, if you ever want to branch out internationally, uh, this might be a place to, to experiment or try and reach people in different countries. We've got the live chat. People can type in messages. We've got a Skype line. Anybody can call in from those countries, you know, just read the information on the broadcast page, folks, and you can see how to do that. And so, you know, as we grow and as we get bigger, uh, this, that's what I'm planning on is having a lot of international folks and work with international citizen legislation. So we have to learn the parliamentary system. Uh, we have to learn a bunch of other things. You know, India is going to be big, I think, at some point. Uh, and they're, they're a Western democracy, but I'm not sure exactly how their government works. How about Japan? We're going to find right. out how that government works, too. I mean, all these places. I mean, this is the potential, and not just gun legislation, but any kind of citizen legislation. It's really unlimited. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. Very yeah. true. Well, got into a good time, Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So what else we got? Any other well, concluding I'm, stories? Well, I'm going – any what? Any other concluding stories? And I'll see if Piaki has a question for you, too. No, I was just going to close with um, our upcoming event in November in Ooh. Fort Worth. Please We're do. going to be at the Concealed Carry Expo. USCCA puts on a Concealed Carry Expo, and it's November 11th through the 13th. So if anyone's in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, um, go to uh, USCCA website look up or look up Concealed Carry Expo, and you can get all the information on there and we will have a table set up there and we are going to be having a drawing for Mm -hmm. a ruger 1911 so you can buy Mm -hmm. tickets or if you want to buy tickets online uh, you can go to dcproject.info and purchase them online as well but 
last year I went and worked that event. It was a lot of fun, a lot of work, and met a lot of awesome people. So I'm going back again this year, and we have more more people. Our Texas State Director will be there, as well as other volunteers, which will be a real be a lot nice, a lot easier for me. Because um, last year I kind of ran it by myself. It was, <laughs> you know, we're still trying. We're still getting, you know, getting going. We're getting our boots on the ground and growing at the state level. So this yep. year that I don't have to do the two and a half days by myself will save me a lot, and I'll be able to venture out and introduce a, a DC project to other vendors as well. But, yeah, check it out, November 11th to the 13th in Fort Worth, Texas. Sounds like and fun. If, you, if we can help with uh, any of our citizen gun legislation, I've got uh, several bills. I don't know if there's a place to present them or you can have them at the table or you can talk to the D.C. Project. Uh, things like uh, taking the suppressors off the uh, the list so people don't lose their hearing when they're saving their life. Uh, second, uh, things like uh, tax deductions, tax credits for purchasing you know, firearms and ammunition, especially for low-income people, uh, and uh, things like that. So those are some of the bills we have. And changing the registration. Do you have like a, do you have like a one-page that, like a oh, Reader's Digest version of Yes, I, I have all the bills on one page. And, and I'll see if, sure. and I'll see if, if it's something that we uh, can put out there and if people want to take a copy or, or read it, they're more than welcome to do that. We could, yeah, I don't have something that formal, that. And, and we have one of our bills. I, I don't know whether it's a joke bill or necessary. I haven't quite figured out because I, I go back and forth on it. I wrote a bill. Uh, one of the first ones I wrote on legislation was uh, the creation of gun stamps, like food stamps, you know, for, for low-income uh-huh. folks. So they have gun stamps. And I, I think it's a joke, but the more I think about it, it might be an interesting idea. So it's a parallel. <clears throat> you know, why shouldn't you be able to have gun stamps? You know, to, uh, otherwise you're uh, taking away people's Second Amendment rights simply because they can't afford a firearm. So in order to access quality firearms and ammunition, as the elect would say, why don't we have gun stamps? Anyway, that's on there. You don't have to take that one. That one, people are going to laugh at it. But, you know, I don't know quite what to do with that bill. That's, that's one of those that sort of floats around a little bit. What do you think? Yeah. That one's probably – can hold off on that one for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I will send I'll you a bill. i put that one in the back burner because it can go, like you said, it can Learn. go in a few different ways. But, you know, you make a good point, but at the same time, I can see it going, yeah, that's not going to Yeah, me too. But I <laughs> want to mention it anyway. More than what are some of the uh, questions that people ask you when they approach your booth? I'm sorry, what was the question? What are some of the questions that inquisitive people ask when they approach you at events like this? Uh, well, they don't—they don't really know anything about us. I found that last year. Um, as far as being at a vendor expo like that, I don't have anything to really sell. I sell T-shirts, but most people there are looking for holsters or some kind of accessory to their gun. So I found that it was necessary for me to be more aggressive to the point of, "Hey, have you ever heard of DC Project?" And then just go from there. I think most of it. They didn't really have questions because they didn't know we existed, for one thing. And when we talk about uh, the Second Amendment, they go, oh, yeah. Or it's funny, a lot, a few times, I won't say a lot, the husband will go, yeah, I've been trying to get her involved in something like that. 
Oh, I love it. And, Let's talk about that next and, week. Let's talk know, about uh, couples and, and married couples and things like that. I got Derek on the line, so I need you to uh, – let's get okay. your contact information once more. And then that would be a great thing to pick up on next week because I, I bet you, you know, the good husbands, you know, and the good wives are saying, you know, go ahead, honey, buy a gun, you know, or come on, dear, let's get you to the shooting range. You know, I mean, I love that. That would be a great topic. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. So um, if you're interested in getting involved with DC Project, would like to make a donation, or like I said, we have drawings, you can go to dcproject.info. For any of the raffles, you go to the little bar that says shop and scroll up all the way to the bottom, and you'll see actually there's a couple different raffles going on. You can purchase tickets there. Uh, also, my book, Heels to Holster, is available on Amazon. It's my uh, transition from victim to survivor of domestic violence. You can purchase that there. And let's see, is there anything else? I think that's it. So that is my report for DC Project Women and Guns on Action Radio. Have a wonderful weekend. Ooh, thank you. And happy birthday as we share October birthdays. Thank you. All right. Thank you very let's get much. To, you're very welcome. Let's get to Derek. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government. To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the markets and your money. So what's going on in Washington? These people are openly lying. We know they're lying. They know they're lying. They know we're in a recession. They know we have mass inflation. They know they're the cause of it. They don't care. They're lying to us anyway, and we're lying. <laughs> this is a weird day. Well, I mean, Good morning, Derek. It, it's, hard to accept. it's hard to accept some of the reality that we're in for, for some people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a travesty as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, I think it should be always call like it is, um, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, we can argue that we're, we're not in a recession, but, you know, nobody can argue that we're not in a pretty bad economic situation, right? Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a it's, it's weird place we're in right now. Hmm. Um, from what you can tell, like I say, obviously not personal stories, names, things like that, but, but what's the general feeling? And I think I asked you this yesterday. Do you, do you see a big difference between people where this is their first economic crisis versus folks like me who've been around since, you know, the gas shortages in the seventies, the oil embargoes and things like that? So yeah, I've seen this before. There's gotta be a difference. Well, when it comes to, when it comes to investments, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's generally up to the person, you know I mean? Everybody, <clears throat> you know, when the market's doing great, everybody's risky. They're just like, oh yeah, man. I mean, I see the market's up. So, you know, mm-hmm. buy, buy whatever you want. I'm cool. You know, as soon as the market goes backwards, all of a sudden the risk tolerance changes, you know, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, why, why, is, why is it down 25%? You know? And I'm like, well, you know I mean? I explained that, you know, this is something that, that does, it moves around like this. And, you know, you said you were comfortable with it and they're like, well, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know nobody wants to see yeah. it move around like that. So right. um, but the, 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 the weird thing is, is they can be anywhere from, um, you know, uh, 20 years old all the way up to 70 years old. And I mean, I had a guy that was 68 years old that was like, yeah, put it in all the risky stuff. And, 
You know, I mean, he didn't need his money anytime soon. And the market started moving around, and, I mean, he started going crazy, you know. And I'm just like, oh, hey, this isn't what we discussed, you know. Um, <laughs> this is, Do this, they lie to you? Is, Do I, people I, lie to you? <laughs> Let me just be blunt. I, I don't. I don't want to call it lie, and I mean, I, well, I don't uh, think that's their fault. Self-deception. Let me put it that way. That's probably a better term. Right. Yeah, definitely, because their feelings are different than, than what they say, really. You know what I mean? We, okay. That's why we ask these people these questions about risk tolerance and how do you understand how things move. It's easy to go over on paper until they see their money doing it. Once they mm. see their money doing it. You know, I mean, now now it's a different feeling. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I, we try our best to articulate that to people. But, you know, mm-hmm. until it actually happens, it's um, it's kind of a mythical feeling, you know. And, and like I said, it doesn't matter the age. It really matters the person. You know, I mean, if they okay. can accept the risk, you know, and, and what people can't accept is that our market has never disappeared. You know, they assume when it goes down 25 percent that the end is nigh and, you know, we uh, – <clears throat> They need to sell everything and, and hold on to their cash. And I'm like, there's no point in our history that the market just disappeared. Um, you know, there's no point. And I said, let me explain. You know, I mean, I've explained this, I think, before. What has to happen for our market to disappear? You selling your currency and putting it into the bank is worthless. What do you think the bank is invested in? <laughs> you know, so exactly. the bank is invested in, in in at least 40% of the same stuff that you're invested in. Now they may, the other 60% would be more fixed and, and, you know, collateralized products, you know, from the government, you know, CDs and such, you know what I mean? But, um, you know, they're still in other products that they can't get your money back. So, you know, ultimately that's why we take the risk that we do. You know I mean? You want to get a long-term return of, you know, 6%, 7%, 8%, whatever your goal is. Right. Um, Mm. you know, but you know, Obviously, politics, um, politics in the long term, you know, really I, ideally do not affect the market, right? I, I, I say that as, you know, short-term problems are going to cause problems in the market. But ideally, if you leave it in the things that we help you plan, you will get the return that you re- desire to get. You know, most mm-hmm. people, they think they, want the, they think they want the biggest return, but their risk tolerance can't handle it. Right. You know, so that's what that's what makes my job interesting. Um, you know, I mean, I, I also I, I also have to be a psychologist, um, you know, because I sit down with people and I, and I have to counsel them. I have to talk to them about how their feelings are. And then when their feelings actually happen, I have to negotiate them with what's going on. Um, you know, so um, and I don't want to say that's everybody. That's, you know, I, I say probably about 30 percent of the. Uh, of the crew and you know the 30% of the crew I could put them in a category of did you listen when we first sat down <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just funny to me I, I think this is amusing because I know exactly what you're talking about you know it's a stock market and in a market the definition of a market you know is is prices go up and down that's what a market is it's a market economy right, right. things happen it's not a, it's not a stock contract you know it's not an investment contract you know unless you have like a bond with a guaranteed return but that's a different thing but a stock right. market, you know, where shares are bought and sold and traded, they're traded, okay? You know, they're, they're not con- – well, I guess it's contracts. But, but the point is that it's an open situation. It's an open economic situation. So you can't, you, you can't ask for a guarantee on something that has no capacity for a guarantee. Exactly. And, I mean, yeah. you know, when people come in, I mean, it, it, you know, that's why I have the financial conversations I have with them. I'm like, hey, are you mm-hmm. absolutely petrified of the market? Well, no. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's put that off to the side. Um, you know, do you need an immediate return on your money? No. Let's put that off to the side. 
Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to hear the word guarantee? No? Okay, let's put that off to the side. So I'm not going to sell you an annuity at this point, right? Mm-hmm. You know, right. an annuity is not going to be a good fit for you, right? Uh, and then the funny thing is, is you know, when the, when the market starts getting haywire, people are like, well, hey, what, what things do you have that are fixed? Well, that's not the discussion that we had, you know, when you first came <laughs> in here. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, you know, now, now all of a sudden you want to run to products that have guarantees and things like that. And I'm like, yeah. I don't, you know, that's why we diversify your money. You know, if yeah. you tell me that you've got XYZ dollars in the bank, I assume that that's, you know, uh, enough for the next year, you know, next for the next two years, you know, maybe bigger, less, you know, I mean, as mm-hmm. long as I know you've got that somewhere else and you tell me, you know, um, I don't necessarily have to have it on, on, on my account or your account, you know, with me, right? You know, so when people come in and they see their investments, they're like, well, you know, I mean, I, I want to go ahead and buy this car. And I'm like, well, what happened to all this money over there? I don't want to use that. Hold on. So you're willing to take a loss. You know, you're willing to take negative numbers to go buy this car that you're going to do, but not mm-hmm. use the cash. Do you really have the cash that you discussed? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course I do. You know what I mean? So so people, when it comes to that kind of stuff, will be dishonest. Um, mm-hmm. And it's and it's very frustrating, um, you know, because yeah. I'm like, hey, this is, you know, if, if we're going to have an understanding, you know, I mean, like if you go to the doctor, for example, Mm-hmm. You give, you know, you give all the information to the doctor. Do you just give a little bit, or do you give it all because you want your problem fixed, right? You normally give it all. Next, the doctor is going to prescribe you either medication or some kind of care plan, right? Do you mm-hmm. follow that care plan, or do you just do what you want to do? You know, so that's, you know, I break it down to people. I'm like, this is just like a doctor visit, right? But people don't treat it like a doctor visit when it comes to their money for some reason. It, it becomes more personal, and I understand that, but I don't exactly agree with it. Well, this is psychology, and I'm sure there have been books written on the psychology of money, uh, but uh, I'm sure you've probably read them <laughs> or some of them uh, because I think you have to. But there is, if you ever want to talk about that, you know, we can do strategies and, and stuff. I went into 401ks a bit because there was a big announcement on that. Uh, they were using that as, right. as a measure. And so that's an interesting thing that they seem to use that a lot in the news in terms of economic, economic health. But let's get, to, let's get the report. And if we could please, and then we'll. I want to. I want to talk a little bit about that, and, and see why that. Yeah. Why that's such a big deal in the market. I'd be curious. So I actually, I'll, I'll say one other thing before I read the report. They actually oh, have yeah, certifications please. that you can uh-huh. get because I mean I have I have uh, two certifications and I'm about to do a third. Um, hmm. You know where you get letters behind your name that designate certain things that you can do above and beyond other people, right? You know what I mean that's where you get like see if mine is AMS. I, the other one I'm about to do is WMCP. AMS is Accredited Asset Management Specialist. Basically uh-huh. means I'm better at long term planning than the average bear. Um, you know, then um, I'm, the, one I'm, the one I'm about to do is wealth management certified professional, which, you know, means I'm a certified wealth manager, um, you know, and then CFP will be in the future, right? They actually have designations, and I'd have to look up what they are that are uh, like certified psychological uh, money manager or something like that. Oh, you know what I mean? And really? It, it, uh, yeah, it's like behavior, behavior or emotional investor certification or something like that. I'd have to get you the names, but they actually have those. Those are real. Um, you know, I, I can't. I uh, no I'd have idea. to look up. That's, a, that's hysterical. Uh, you know, I mean, I I saw them, but it, but it's you know what that does is go through the psychology of people and how they invest their money and helps yeah. helps you be a I guess a a better investor for certain things. Um, you know, funnily enough, I mean, I'm a I'm a psychology minor, so it's specifically mm. human behavior. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, I try to do what I can for people with, you know, some of the things that I know, um, you know, but again, it, it, you know, when you deal with people's emotions, it's uh, that's something you can never predict. 
you know, you oh, can. Listen, I was a flight instructor. <laughs> I could tell right. people that, that thought they could handle it and couldn't. I'll tell you some of those stories sometimes. Yeah, yeah. right, right. I got yeah. you. But uh, well, okay, let me read the report here, and we'll we'll move forward. Okay. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park with Edward Jones, bringing you the daily financial market report. Markets close the day lower as investors grapple with incoming data. Bond yields continue to rise with the 10-year Treasury yield now around 4.2%, its highest level since 2008. On the international front, European shares were mixed after Liz Truss announced she is stepping down as Prime Minister of England. Asian markets were lower after the yen weakened sharply against the dollar with global economic headwinds mounting. There is some support to Asian markets after a report showed Chinese authorities may be reconsidering their zero-COVID policy. Earnings season, which has been fairly positive so far, marches on this week. Page two. The U.S. equities closed lower uh, with the Dow Jones down 90 points or .30 to 30,334. NASDAQ closed down 66 points or .61 to 10,615. The S&P 500 closed down 29 points, or 0.08% to 3,666. Again, in the bond market, the yield is 4.23% higher by 0.12. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was up 20, 28 cents, or 0.33 to 84.80. And the spot price of gold was down $3, or uh, minus 0.18 to 16.31. This is Derek Parks of Edward Jones, member SIPC. You can get me at 850-995-0082. See, isn't that easier saying page two? We've been trying to do that for, for months. <laughs> Just like I don't like, like Joe Biden. <laughs> well, thanks, Bianchi. <laughs> yeah. I like Joe Biden reading the report when it, when it comes to the point where it said, read this, read this. You know, oh, yeah. Stop here. Well, no, actually, the, there's a reason for doing it because Derek does have to do the pitch turn. And, and obviously, this is, you know, because, and I just figured, let's do it like Paul Harvey, who used to say it. And he made a joke about it, page two, and now the rest yeah. of the story. But I want to give you a round of applause for all these things that you're accomplishing for yourself. This is great. <laughs> so, for all your extra certifications, because a lot of people wouldn't do that, they, they become a financial advisor and they stop. And they'd say the same things for years and years. They wouldn't adapt. They wouldn't go through, uh, you know, more education, more things. And, and uh, so are you are you a CPA yet? Is that like a certified – or not an accountant, but no, a certified financial planner or something no, like that? That's yeah, another designation, right? That, that process – no, no, not yet. And I haven't started okay. it either. Uh, that process okay. takes about two years. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's compared commonly to the CPA because of the difficulty um, and what it takes to get it. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like the gold standard of financial planning. Um, right. You actually have two. You have the CFP, which is more uh, highly regarded, and then you have chartered financial consultant, CHFC. Those two are kind of the pinnacle of mm-hmm. what you would want to be, um, you know, but both of them take an inordinate large amount of time. And as I've heard from the professionals, the few handful we have that are in the area – uh, mm-hmm. that are CFP, um, you know, they say you need to, you need to have a clear, a clear life and a clear schedule as much as it can be before you're going to commit the time to it. Um, right. you know, so, uh, just where I'm at right now with, with family and things, I just don't think it'd be a good commitment. Now these other ones, you know, they take about six months, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe three months if you can kind of, if you're good at retaining material, uh, the mm-hmm. AMS took me about, you know, really that one took me about a month to be honest. That one's not a real big one. Um, the WMCP one, um, you know, that one takes three months. That one's a little harder. 
Yeah. Yes, like what Do I was you saying, used to work uh, with uh, professional athletes? Um, I actually work with two. Uh, they are not current anymore, though. Um, so I've got two on my book that at one point were, uh, but they weren't real. They weren't real big names, um, you know. So uh, yeah, I mean they they're kind of normal people now. They both work uh, work jobs, um, I guess that like everybody else did. They made a a small, I'll call it a small fortune that made them able to get their lives set up better than the common bear. Um, you know, they played a couple seasons. Uh, one's a uh, a professional football player, and the other one's a pro baseball player. Huh. You must meet some interesting people. Funnily, fun, yeah. funnily enough, they both live in the area. <laughs> so. Interesting. Well, this is a fascinating area, especially to, with all the, the military folks that are here as well. Uh, it's very different than where it was in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, good question, Pianchi. Appreciate that one. Uh, 401ks, people seem to use that as a benchmark, and people campaign on it. Uh, how many people have them? How strong are they? What, what's the, the, the purpose, I guess, is tax-deferred you know, uh, uh, stuff, but you got to pay your taxes. Point. But why do you think that's used as a benchmark, and, and how important are four hundred one ks? You know, in the in the the whole market uh, investment scheme. Uh, it's using a benchmark for a few different reasons. So first off, is it uses as benchmark because it is the main retirement vehicle for Americans today, right? <laughs> okay. Pensions are are few and far between. Uh, they're mm-hmm. they're fading away. Um, they're leaving it up to the individual to save. And the problem is, is most people are not doing it. So I think the last statistic that I saw was about 38% of Americans have 401ks. Um, and the benchmark of why another reason why it's a benchmark is, uh, the amount of assets that are in there. Um, you know, when, when they lose value controls a big portion of the market, because when you say 38% of Americans and then how much is in there, you start talking about really big numbers. Right. So, and how big if trillions? You had to say, I mean, how much? How many I mean, trillion? I don't know. The, I don't know the number of it, but you know, I mean, that's what I'm talking we're, about. We're in yeah, that range. Okay. All right. Right. Yeah. How many? How many trillions of dollars? I mean, I think. Uh, I think BlackRock is the world's biggest asset manager with something like 3.5 trillion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the next one is Vanguard at like 2.2, if I'm not mistaken. The next one I want to say is Fidelity right behind there, and I think third and fourth is is Edward Jones and like Raymond James, could be Morgan Stanley. I'd have to go look at it again. Um, you know, so uh, you know some of these other p- people. The reason they're big is because they sponsor investments, right? You know, when you start talking about like Edward Jones, Raymond James, they don't sponsor. They do sponsor investments, but they don't sponsor a big number of investments. What do you mean by sponsoring an investment? They actually have their own investments. Providing. Their own yeah, funds or what? BlackRock okay. has their own mutual funds, their own ETFs. I mean, they, uh, BlackRock has the—I want to say—the biggest ETF inventory in the in the United States. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, they have mutual funds. I mean, you know, obviously they're publicly traded. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's a lot of things going on with BlackRock. You know, I mean, they're involved in a lot of different things. Are they um, new? You know, I never really heard of them. I've heard of Vanguard mutual funds and some of the other things like that. that, that they have their own funds. And you said ETS funds, or what are those ones you just mentioned? The ETF is is uh, an exchange traded fund. Uh, the difference okay. between ETF. a mutual fund and, a, and an exchange traded fund is uh, mm-hmm. an exchange traded fund or ETF passive, meaning that you have a grouping of stocks uh, or bonds. They make bond ones as well. Uh, they go into this, and you know, really, there's nobody nobody keeping an eye on it or not making changes. There's a certain criteria that they have to meet to get in or to be kicked out. 
And until they meet that criteria, there's really no changes that happen inside of there. So any money that comes in is mm-hmm. equally distributed between however the allocation of whatever assets are in there, right? So if they have, you know, 100 different stocks and have, you know, 1% to each one, when that money comes in, 1% goes to each one, right? That's just the way that it works. Um, so the expense ratios in ETF are traditionally very low depending on um, what type of asset they have, you know, so they're cheap, you know, so a lot of people like them because the internal expense or the cost of them is very low and they give you automatic diversification. The difference of a mutual fund is they do have passive mutual funds and you do have index funds, right? An index mm-hmm. mutual fund, all it does is follow whatever index is there. It will be the small cap index, the small cap blend index, the small cap growth index, a large cap, you know, so on and so forth, right? So whatever it does, all it does is follow. So those are cheap because it's kind of a passive investment. Most mutual funds, if you had 100 funds inside of there, you have a person like myself or a team of people like myself, um, you know, that will go in there and make changes based on what uh, forecasts they have on investments. You know, so they'll assume, you know, hey, we think XYZ stock is going to do very good this year, so we'll put a heavier allocation to that one, right? Um, You know, statistically, uh, over time, um, the active management in about 60% of the funds has done better than, you know, passive things like that. Now, there are certain times that indexes have done better, uh, like now. The market pullback that we've had right now, the indexes Uh and ETFs have held their weight really well because the credit quality of everything in there has to be extremely high. Um, like the S&P so 500 the, kind of thing, for example, or that's one of the ones right here. Right, exactly. Right. right. Well, everything in the S&P 500 is going to be considered pretty high quality, right? Uh, right. Meaning mm-hmm. that, you know, they're, they're not defaulting on bonds. Um, you know, they're, they're very solid companies, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, even, I mean, there's plenty of companies outside that have good, uh, you know, good financial records. But, you know, these mutual funds, before they go invest in companies, they do due diligence visits to these uh, companies and say, mm-hmm. you know, hey, XYZ company, crack your books out, um, you know, before we <laughs> drop $3 million, you know, on your stock. You know, I mean, we're not going to just haphazardly throw it in there. We want to see where your money's going, right? Um, you know, I mean, I don't know how often they do that. And, uh, you know, obviously I wouldn't know all this, but we go through classes with our fund managers that show us how they build the funds. Um, you know, and, and what I find very interesting is, some of the fund companies and some of the funds require a million dollars of fund managers' own money in the fund before they'll allow them to do anything. So wow. they got to eat their own cookies. You know, so they so have I find that yeah. pretty awesome. <clears throat> Well, the companies that, that advertise, I forgot which one it is, but they advertise that, uh, you know, the customers, they don't pay a sales fee or things like that, but their performance, you know, how much the, the money managers themselves make is based on how much the customers make. And so that's, the, you know, we right. hear that over here with like Charles Schwab advertises and they'll talk about, uh, you know, things they offer and it's you know, discount brokers and things like that. So you get what you pay for, but, you know, it's just interesting the different approaches. There's a lot of options out for people. Um, but I think for, the, for yeah. someone and I mean, new, we, we do the same. you know, you know, I mean, I, I, I normally, mm-hmm. I normally advertise, uh, you know, the, the, the Fisher investments is, is, is kind of the one that's, that's really big with that. And I mean, you know, so the company says, um, we make we make money when you make money, you know, so yeah, what that is, one. is a fee-based platform, um, you know, fee-based platform that says, um, you know, Hey, we're, we'll, uh, you know, we, uh, whatever your portfolio is doing, and Fisher Investment starts at 1.5%, right? You know, so mm-hmm. whatever your investment's doing, 1.5% amortized monthly, 
goes to the company, right? And then, you know, if there's an advisor, they get a piece of that. That's, that's how it works with me, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, our, our fees are a little bit less than theirs. And, I mean, we, we do offer a little bit more personal service from what I understand. So, um, you know, it's just different, you know, different companies, different things, um, you know. But, unfortunately, the nature of the realm is, is when the market corrects 20%, guess what? I could take a 20% pay cut, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's painful. <laughs> Oh, uh, the economy affects everybody. It's fascinating. Uh, in the time we have, because we got uh, Mike's going to join us for our, our new uh, Science Friday feature. Uh, in fact, I think he's right there right now. Um, England. Uh, we don't hear a lot of talk about this, but something really fascinating happened. And I was listening to a discussion last night that uh, Ms. Truss uh, is the shortest serving prime minister in English history. She was there either 44 or 45 days, depending on how it counts. And her big flaw, they say, was, was putting forward conservative policies. Well, this is the same thing that uh, Trump put forward, Ronald Reagan put forward, Margaret Thatcher put forward. I mean, she's no Margaret Thatcher, I'll tell you that. Otherwise, she'd still be there. But um, how is that going to affect us here that England is going to be going to a much more, I guess, socialist economy, higher taxes? They've got some horrible Labor Party person that sort of assumed command. I don't know all the details. Uh, but it's really interesting, I think, what's happening. And we hope to get, I hope to get closer ties with England for our show, particularly Nigel Farage, you know, as we, as we move over there uh, in terms of citizen legislation. But how, does that affect you or, uh, how the, or the British-American economy? What's going on? What's, what's your take on that? Um, you know, I mean, it, it hasn't had an impact on us yet. Um, you know, I mean, we, we, we heard about it. The market may have, you know, been a little bit choppy because of that. I mean, I would say that it was more earnings based and and more long term concern than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean they still you have to keep in mind they still have to run another election. You know, so yeah. uh, it's not like, you know, the the person can take over. I mean the Conservative Party's got to put up somebody. Uh mm-hmm. the the Labor Party. I think there's three of them over there if I'm not mistaken, isn't there? I think they have a reform party, which reminded me of uh, Ross Perot, but uh, it's basically <laughs> – and, and, uh, yeah, well, she went, oh, we're going to open up the hood and we're going to see what's under it. Yeah, and that great sucking sound is all our jobs going to Mexico. I liked Ross Perot because he was a corporate leader who actually defended his people. He, he paid for a private security force to go get his folks out of – I think it was Iran uh, before our hostages right. were taken there. So, you know, congratulations to him. I didn't always favor what he, what he was doing with, uh, with his policies with the Reform Party, but the rest of it, uh, he, was, he was a real dynamo. Um, but I'm just curious about this because England's such a financial center with the London stock market. I think it's called the FTSE. I don't know where they got that name from. But uh, international trading, if, if the British economy um, kind of tanks because they're going for more of the socialist policies that, you know, our Marxist government, my words, folks, uh, is, is putting here – you know, they obviously aren't working. The high inflation, the government spending, the printing of money, the lack of energy, the restricting of oil supplies, everything else that's going on, that's government-imposed. This is a government-imposed bad economy. This is not a natural cycle because we were doing just fine before all these policies. I'm just wondering how much of England, you know, because it is such a, it's been a worldwide financial center for hundreds of years. It was a financial center before we were a country. So I'm just curious how that would have an effect uh, or does the European Union have more effect or does it, it we just kind of watch and see what goes on there. I would say more of the European Union, um, you know what I mean? So, uh, and, and typically, you know, that's why in the, in the markets it's referred to as that, um, you know, or some of the reports it's referred to as that, because the European Union, um, you know, is a conglomeration of all the countries over there, not just the one, you know, so. Except Britain, um, because they had Brexit, but yeah. yeah. 
yeah. you've got a well, you've got a bigger impact, right? You know, what I mean, right. uh, the euro um, is like twenty percent of the world's reserve currency, where the Great Britain pound is like four. <laughs> you know, oh, so, okay. Um, you know, so I mean, it, when you combine all those countries, I mean, you're talking about mm-hmm. a bigger economic impact. So, yeah, I would say that that it, you're. Uh, I'm sure over in Europe, Great Britain is going to have a an impact with changes that they make to those countries. To to us, for example, you know, what big impact would we see? What do we really import from them? Not much, you know. So, um, our markets. I mean, now when the, when Brexit happened, our markets went back ten percent. You know, I mean, well, it hasn't necessarily all happened yet, but when they were announcing it and the process was beginning, yeah, our markets got real choppy. Why? What was the, what was the connection to Britain as far as that goes? Because it was a probably smaller European Union? Or? I would okay. say probably because of the financial impact, because the Great Britain pound and Great Britain itself is probably, I mean, I would argue probably one of the most stable, <laughs> you know, that's, that's in it. Yeah. So when you pound take, sterling's when been you around. That, yeah. Well, right. wasn't when, that the reserve currency in the 1800s? Derek, uh, wasn't that the reserve uh, currency in the 1800s I, was the pound? I bet you. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the history of it. So yeah. okay. I'd, have to, I'd have to look. But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's obviously going to cause a little bit of turmoil, I'm sure. But uh, immediately right now, it's not. And, I mean, you know, if they run their election, I mean, you know, who knows which way it's going to go. Well, I'm curious because, you know, being a British Commonwealth original person born in Canada, you know, I'm always curious to see what goes on there. And so it's a, it was interesting when I was growing up, growing up in Canada and Australia, we didn't hear much about the United States. You, you, you all think that you're the center of the world? world? You ain't. <laughs> we ain't. We are here. We're a lot of it, but it's just fascinating that uh, other people have other lives in other countries and, and they go on. Um, Mike's on the line here, Mike Lynch, who's going to be doing our Science Friday. Mike, do you have a question for Derek? Because he's only, I'm going to switch over to you in just a minute here. You got a financial question? I recall, I recall reading an article yes. about uh, the reserve currency, about the dollar mm-hmm. being the reserve currency. And I'm trying to – I don't recall when that took place. You all were talking about it. But I know it's very important to remain to be accepted the dollar as the reserve currency, particularly in the Middle East, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. It's very yeah. important – that the United States be the reserve currency for the Saudis, the Emirates, and people like that. Well, let's talk about that because the Saudis just cut production 2 million barrels, although they haven't actually started it. So, Derek, if I can keep you for a minute uh, extra here to sort of talk about that a little bit. How's, how, is that, are we anticipating um, you know, price rises? I mean, we're, gonna, we're already getting them around the country, and we'll get them here in Florida when, the, when our gas tax relief uh, kicks out. But um, how's that? Are people just waiting for that to, the production to stop? Or are they you know, preparing now? What's going on? How's, that, how's the, no, the, I mean, the reserve really, dollar? Okay. Nobody's really, really preparing right now. Um, you know, uh, uh, Biden's immediate rela- reaction was to release more out of the out of the strategic oil reserve. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but uh, I'm not sure what the immediate impact is going to do. I mean, I find it a little disturbing how um, uh, how aggressive Saudi is being with this. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. like, did you watch any of those press conferences? No, I should. What, yeah. what were they saying? So, I mean, just basically, I mean, they weren't wanting to answer any questions. They were basically like, hey, you know, shut up and deal with it because we're doing this. And even even, even one of the people was on there, and I can't remember what news. They were like, well, hey, you know, I mean, you understand the global impact by you guys cutting this production, you know, by this. And, and he basically said, yeah, eat it. Sorry, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, what, what did the guy say? He says his exact well, words. 
uh, were at a cost. And that he was like, he, when he responded to the question, he goes, yeah, he's like, everything costs something. And he's like, and, and it's going to cost. And I was like, wow. You know what I mean? The guy just doesn't even care. He, uh, he's, he maybe be planning on refilling the strategic oil reserve with batteries. <laughs> we need to talk about that because the news is now reporting that, that these electrons are exploding uh, sometime after they exposed to salt water. But I just got one, um, one more thing. We did actually did a show on this. I didn't see the press conferences, but I reported earlier this week on, on uh, we did a show on how Saudi Arabia really can't stand Joe Biden. Um, the prince is like really pissed off at him because they, we've gotten right away from the Abraham Accords. You know, he's uh, advancing the Palestinians. He's trying to give Iran a nuke. You know, he's uh, taking arms sales away from Saudi Arabia. So the Brandon insurrection is not doing well as far as the Saudis are concerned. And Trump got along really well. He, he made a big speech over there. In fact, I had the guy, Herb London, who actually uh, wrote the speech for him um, when he was alive. He was, we actually have a recording of his. I might play on the show again. But Saudi Arabia does not favor uh, Joe Biden at all. So I think that, uh, this is probably personal. Uh, part of it, because as he's dumping, as Brian, you know, Biden's dumping an extra million from our reserve onto the world market. I think that they that they chose to undercut by two million for a reason, so that the production is still down a million barrels a day overall. Derek, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about their their attitudes on you know certain politicians and things like that. You know what I mean? But uh, you know I mean it holds water. I mean it's 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 fine. I would understand it. I mean you have to understand that they're business people as well, right? I mean mm-hmm. they're they're looking for opportunities to better themselves and better their country. Um, you know, so if that's not happening on the scale that that they want or they're not getting what they want, then they're just going to do what they want when they control. You know what I mean? Uh, the stake that they control. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, unfortunately, the world is at their mercy. But we weren't. And they know the, <laughs> the irony is that just a, just two short years ago, you know, the, the, we, we were the other side of the spectrum. So they could cut production. We could increase it. Or if they increase right. production, lower the price, we could hang on to our oil and sell it later. You know, so there's no right. there's no supply demand curve. There's no it's just their supply. And that's it. And that's the problem. Right. Um, Derek, I just want to give you a chance to get your well, content. Then, we'll, uh, then, we'll, uh, then you can you know, feel free to, to hang out or, or go as, as – um, let me get Derek's contact information first, then we'll get to Bianchi's question, and then we'll get to Mike. Derek? All right. Well, hey, uh, thanks again, Greg. Um, uh, this is Derek Park of Ever-Jones. Again, my phone number is 850-995-0082. Thank you, sir. Good report. Yep. Have yeah. a nice weekend, Derek. Be careful. Yes, sir. Mm. I got you. You guys take care. Thanks, Derek. Jackie, you had a question? Maybe the rest of us can answer it. Well, I was going to say that OPEC is made up of several, what, five nations, including Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Venezuela. It used to be Venezuela. Yeah, it was Nigeria, Venezuela, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, and let me see, one, two, three, and maybe some of the other. Was it UAE, United Arab Emirates, and uh, maybe who else was there? Um, Kuwait. I think they were in it at one point. I don't know. Mike, so, do you know? So Joe Biden, so, so Biden has been going to Venezuela, and he's trying to uh, go around Saudi Arabia in order to try to get oil. Yeah. And uh, they probably pissed off at that. And the most important thing that they made at is that they're providing Iran with uh, nuclear weapons or trying to help them to get to, get to that aspect. And Iran <laughs> and Saudi Arabia are staunch enemies because they figured that the way Saudi Arabia treats the Koran and the religion and the tenets, they're just completely off base. 
Well, see, if people forget that Iran is not, they're not Arabs, they're Persians. You know, you go back in history, you know, Thermopylae and the Greeks and the Spartans, you know, Persians have been at war with the world for, for several thousand years. You know, and this is a very different, uh, different people. And you've got Shiite versus Sunni Muslims. I'm not sure which is which. But that ties into it as well, too. Mike, do you want to add to that? Yeah, what I was going to say was what a lot of people don't think about is history and geography and how much that plays into this. Because people say they claim Iran, the Arab Peninsula, is the Middle East. Technically, it's not. It's Southwest Asia. When you think about it, where it's separated between Africa and the Asian continent, you're dealing with two, as you just said, two different uh, philosophies, two different sets of historical context. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of difference in the way they view each other and what's going on in the rest of the world. Yeah, Persia well, you know, you know, throughout yeah. its history was, was a conquering place. I don't think so, the Saudis have ever you know, reached beyond their borders to conquer anybody. I think they've pretty much stayed within their nation. Piaki? Yeah. Yeah, he's absolutely right. The whole content about uh, Middle East is, is rarely is relatively new. Mm-hmm. But if there's a the Middle East and where's the Middle West and where's the Middle the Middle South? Well, the, so, the, no, there's a Middle East and a Far East. This is this is based on Britain. So Britain created these terms, all right? So for Britain, you know, the Middle East was the Middle East. The Far East was Asia. That would be China, Japan. Uh, Korea and the other countries, Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, etc. So that was the Far East. So the Far East for us would be Europe. <laughs> you know, uh, well, actually, that would be the Middle East for Middle us. East, yeah. What we call the Middle East used to be called Asia Minor. Oh, yeah, and it's interesting, Sue, that uh, some of the, uh, the – Mike, maybe you can help me out with this, being the geographer. Uh, this whole term of, of Southeast Asia being India. I mean, I think of India as kind of its own separate continent and separate people. Indians are different than other people. They're not Asian. Um, you know, I don't, see, I don't see similarities. I see them as unique. And then Southwest Asia is now Persia. They're not Asia. I don't know what they are, but I don't think of them as Asian. And then you can get really complicated well, for in and, Kazakhstan and some of the other places. And then, then it gets really weird. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. Where are these terms coming Oh, no. It's, it's, well... I think a lot of this, a lot of what you're seeing kind of goes back to the 1970s. If you take a look at what happened in the 1970s, it was not a very good decade for us. And when you take a look at what happened, what took place, a lot of Mm -hmm. it centers around that area. No matter what geography term you use, the results Mm -hmm. were the same. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can go back all the way to Jimmy, Jimmy Carter and, and you begin to look at what happened starting then in the mid or early 70s, a lot of these terms kind of got redefined. I think in terms of what happened, you had the rise of radical Islam, uh, the, dep- dep- the deposing of the Shah of Iran. When, when you take a look at all these things that took place and what happened, I think people became, uh, what's the term? They tried to become more knowledgeable, but I think they started putting in their own terms, in this case, Southwest Asia, I, I come up with that because of my sister having been in the military for 34 years. That mm-hmm. was a term that the, the military used. They they refused to use the term Middle East. That was not something that my sister said they were in favor of. Why? Because it I mean, really it, didn't. Well, like I said, it's it a British really, term originally. Yeah, yeah, it really didn't describe the actual. What's the term I want to use? The actual things that were happening in the area and who was involved. And pointing fingers, and it, it's. I did some research. I was going to get into in a little bit, 
about where all this comes Before. from. And if, yeah, if you start to look if, back at the if, 1970s and the rise of radicalism, there's a lot of connections here, even to our strategic petroleum reserve, the price of oil, uh, OPEC. There's there's all sorts of inter, little interconnections I found. <laughs> it's really okay. kind of crazy. When you start well, we'll get to, I'll just tell the story in just a minute. I want to get to Pianki's question. And then I have just one more thing myself. Yeah. Pianki, you had a point? Yeah, before Syria, they were the Assyrians. Like you say, but the Iranians were uh, what Persians. Were we just got you. Persians, yeah. yeah. Pers- Matter of fact, yeah. Cleopatra's, Cleopatra's seven was Persian. She huh. was not African. Well, and then you got the whole idea of, of uh, Saharan Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa. Those are, you know, those are huge divisions. The difference between, you know, Egypt and uh, and, and Kenya, for example, are huge. You know, just looking at a map here, uh, I got my globe, so I actually can take a look at these things. But uh, you know, you've got uh, India, Afghanistan, you know, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran. It's an interesting area of the world. That's Southwest Asia. I don't think so. I don't think of that as, as Asian at all. But it's very interesting. But the the, the what was I going with this? I had another point I was going to make about uh, about the oil. Oh, I know what I was going to say. that If you go back even further, 1800s. Let me start there just real quickly. I want to get into Mike's uh, um, information, which I know he's been working hard on, which is kind of cool. Um, but the British really screwed things up. They declared this nation of Palestine and created this artificial people, the Palestinians. There are no Palestinians. It's, it's, it's a British creation. Uh, and it was done from, I think, uh, Claire Lopez when she was on the show, talked about the Hashemites. And some of the other folks and some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the refugees from Arab nations all ended up, you know, the people that nobody else wanted, you know, ended up being called Palestinians. And the, the fact that Brandon, you. you know, hold on, just say the be fact that Brandon, you wasn't no, wasn't no Israel neither. Um, well, it's, except they got a, I, I think there was an, there was an Israel and they have a, you know, it a, was a, a claim on the land. It wasn't, it was a okay. Canaan, that land was controlled by the Egyptians. There wasn't no Israel. Israel comes out of the. Break off of ISIS, IS, Ra, RA, and Elamine, those three. And they were just groups of people. Mm. So we're going way back. <laughs> so we're talking Exodus? Are we talking the, the biblical, you know, uh, when, the, when the Jews left? Exodus Egypt and then... is a myth. Oh, okay. Ooh, we, <laughs> i got to get you talking to Wendy. <laughs> this is going to be really interesting. This is not my area of expertise at all. But as I understand it, Israel, you know, the, 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 the Jews have the claim to the land of Israel. Uh, but the Palestinians don't have a claim because... They were just sort of a made-up British invention. Now, we can dispute that, but it, that set the policy. Uh, the British created Iran. I mean, uh, Iraq, excuse me. I mean, Mesopotamia. Of course, this is more Pianchi's expertise, too. But Mesopotamia was one area, but Iraq was created out of uh, uh, Sunni, Shiites, and Kurds. Well, that's not good. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> you know, and they've been uh, at war with themselves ever since. So it's kind of a mess. The British have stayed out of it, I think. And don't forget the, the importance, two bodies mm-hmm. of water, the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Mm-hmm. Remember how important they are to that area and how people move back and forth across those two rivers and over towards the Nile to the west. So yeah. that, that there's a ge- geographical component there, too, in terms of what natural boundaries there were for these various groups. And, hmm. you know, unfortunately, those boundaries didn't last very long. <laughs> Yeah, we should do yeah, one of those. Yeah, the Euphrates was not the original Garden of Eden either. That Garden of Eden was created by the Greeks. <clears throat> but thus, thus is the history of mankind. No, I want to hear more about it. I just want to let Mike uh, do it now. But Pianchi, we need to do this in, a, in another show and, and to go back through some of these ancient things because I'm curious. 
um, as to how that, uh, what you know about this, because, uh, you know, this, this is going to be an interesting show topic. So, we, you know, let's, let's take some time during one of our free hours next week and go, and go over this. Uh, Mike, let's get to you and all the stuff you wanted to talk about, and then we shall proceed with our usual impossible questions and uh, see where you go. Mike? Oh, okay. Tell Great. me a story. Thank you, yeah. Sue. Well, here's, here's what I did. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about the price of oil, oil reserves, what's happening in the world markets, what the president can or can't do. So what I did was I started, my background is in earth sciences and uh, particularly with geology and things like that. So I went back and started doing some research on the strategic petroleum reserve, which was formed essentially in the 1970s. Let's kind of go back. The 1970s was a really tumultuous time, not just Mm -hmm. for the United States, but across the Middle East, across the world. 1973, you had the Yom Kippur War between uh, Arabs and Israelis. That kind of kicked off uh, the beginning of radical Islam. If you start to look at what happened, um, the Saudis and the others in the Middle East, quote, quotes on that, were angry at the United States for providing weapons and support for Israel. Mm-hmm. Hence the Arab oil embargo that came into effect. Once that oil embargo started, uh, prices in the United States went from – now, you're all going to laugh. The original price of oil was $3 a barrel in the 1970s. <laughs> well, $3 bought a lot more yeah. than, too. It, you know, it's probably worth $30 today. Right, so the front went up to 79 cents. Yeah, from 25. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we swore. I, I was a senior in high school. You could when? get enough gas to go on a date with a $5 bill. Ooh. That's all you needed. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I remember when I first got to the United States uh, and I first got my experience with dollars and I would hang out with band friends. And so we, we used to hang out and the seniors would take us, yep. you know, sophomores and juniors. Uh, and one guy said, you know, fill it up. Here's two bucks. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, you know, was the first oil embargo was 1973, right? Or was any, when was the first? Correct. One? So what uh, was the, and you're saying the cause of that was was radical Islam and the Yom Kippur War. How did, I don't remember those two being connected. So help me out here. Well, what I'm doing is that it kind of all feeds down the same channel. Yom Kippur okay. was in 1973. The Arab mm-hmm. oil embargo was a, was a result of that. Then you have this, the uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which was created in 1977. As a and that would have been whose administration? Because he was Jimmy 76 Carter. to 80. Okay, so Jimmy Carter created it. All right, hey. just want to get my perspective. Now, I got mm-hmm. to the United States in 72. So all my knowledge of this country starts then. So my first thing, I get here and after, I hear that we're already at war in this place called Vietnam that I didn't know where that was. And then, I, and then I find out a year later, right. all of a sudden, you know, the price of gas, we have an oil embargo for something that I don't know why that was caused either. So I'm, I'm kind of getting thrown into this country at an interesting time. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> At least you got to see some of the some of the worst. At least some of the things that happened. The seventies was not a good time. You I know, miss remember the 60s, we had man. I would love to have been San Francisco in nineteen sixty-seven. Of course, I was no, seven. <laughs> Thought I missed it, but uh, driving it around cool. in your pink micro bus. I can see you in yeah. your VW micro bus driving. Around. Not at seven. <laughs> you know, I've been bike riding around. <laughs> oh well, but uh, hey, I don't know. Been... You know, they catch kids ten. They catch ten-year-olds driving their parents' cars. Anyway, back to what I was I never talking tried that. about. Yeah, okay, we we do digress. Yeah, we digress. The uh, t- the early days. What happened was in 1977, then the Strategic Petroleum Reserve was created okay. to 
as a hedge against an, another embargo. And it actually now, when we talk about today, the total capacity is about 714 million barrels of oil. And it's stored in four sites, three in Louisiana and one in Texas. And they're in salt caves, essentially huge caves that were dug out or caves left over from salt. And of course, it's very geologically. Yeah, I'll explain Uh, that for a bit. Well, I want you to explain it. Uh, hold on just a second. No, this is really important for people to understand because most people think that the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is in tanks, so they just pump up the oil and, and off it goes. No. It goes into a pipeline. It goes into a truck. So, so spend a bit of time. Let's find out what a salt dome actually is because we'll get your geologist hat here. What exactly is it? Why were they picked? How big are they? Where does the oil go? And what does it take to get it out? Because all these things make, a, make it very interesting that drawing the oil out is not as easy as people think. So I'll let you tell the story of, of no. the geological formation. Go ahead. Essentially, ancient seas, which, of course, were highly salt, were uh, created. When those ancient seas were buried, the salt migrated into concentrated areas called salt domes, which can also be formed by, oh, I want to make this quick and simple, bending of the earth's surface, synclines, anticlines, the things. When you drive on a highway, you notice you'll see the rocks formations go up and down. Those are called anticlines and synclines, and, and they can trap uh, fluids. In this case, they trapped water from the ancient seas. The salt mm-hmm. deposited there, and then these became later salt caves or salt mines, and they're very geologically stable. So they Why is that? Uh, drilled down into salt, them. I'm sorry. This is interesting. So salt yeah. under, under, under the earth, and when you say a dome, is oh, it yeah. actually shaped like a, like a dome, like a big astrodome kind of thing? It's, is that what it looks like? Yeah. It, it, okay. It looks – I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it without a it picture in front of me. It just hollowed out. Yeah, and it's hollowed out, a good point. And what happens is they pump that oil in there, and mm-hmm. it, it's So what's in there designed, now? Space in there now, right? Is that because they have a space for it? So uh, this is, this is, these are empty, empty caves. So is the salt below and above, or is the salt on the dome top part, and, and, or is it salt all around it? So in other words, is the oil encased in salt? Yeah, it, it's trapped inside these these domes are a trapping mechanism. They hold okay. the oil. Okay. And what happens is they actually drill down, they exchange the oil. They they are supposed to put back at the market price what they put out. That's mm-hmm. what the, the actual law says. I went through it and started reading it, and my brain got hurt. So, <laughs> <laughs> But reading any legislation. The point is, here's what a lot of people don't realize. There are pipelines that go from the the SPR, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, to refineries in like Illinois, Michigan, and the Northeast. Those pipelines, this is a whole other story for another day. Wait a lot of them travel. Wait, wait, wait. Brandon's using pipelines to get rid of our oil, and he didn't want the Keystone Pipeline? Well, this is fascinating. Do tell. The pipeline transversed the portion of the United States all over the place. I know that, but I want and to state it on the show for the record. There right. are pipelines that run from these four strategic reserve locations to mm-hmm. refineries in other parts of the country, mostly in the east and the northeast and north central in Michigan. Uh, this is all research I've been doing the past week, and it's very, very interesting where some of those pipelines travel mm-hmm. are some pretty, you know, across uh, – Rivers, the Mississippi, things of that sort, and not only that, but also through another day, another time, we can talk about this, through southern Missouri, 
which has some earthquake issues, but we can talk about that later. The point is, when you begin to take a look at how the soil is distributed and where it goes, it's amazing that it doesn't cost a lot more. I mean, when you think what we're paying right now at 395, 380 a, a gallon, this, mm-hmm. I guess that would be equivalent to what had happened in the 70s when it went from 29 cents a gallon to 79 cents a gallon. Well, it's there's a difference. Well, it, well, there's similar in some ways. In fact, I got a, I got a comment here from uh, one of my my favorite uh, live chat people. Um, but it's interesting that the oil embargo, you know, at the time uh, was because we had no supply here. And so, because we were, we didn't, you know, we were quote, quote dependent on foreign oil, which is OPEC, which is the Arab countries particularly. So they cut off our oil in '73, cut it off again in '77, '78, or '76. I forgot. '77. Okay. So, so we had gasoline. Okay. So in all those cases, raised the price of gasoline. It went from 25 cents to a dollar. When gasoline hit a dollar, we all thought the world was going to end. It's quite fascinating. Oh, we anyway, swore. but. I've, now he's a, I remember the, the discussions. Uh-huh. Yeah, we swore oil would never be a do- gasoline would never be a dollar a gallon. It'll never hit a dollar a gallon. Yeah, I remember, I remember those, those discussions. Mm-hmm. Exactly, as we're driving yeah. our Chevy Impalas and Ford Galaxies with V8 engines that got like five miles to the gallon. Yeah, it was an interesting oh, time. Hey. My parents had the ranch wagon. My parents had the I call it the boat. They mm-hmm. had a, a Ford ranch wagon. You know the brown monster. Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. God! It, it had its own time zone. It went down the highway. Yeah, my folks so had a Chrysler, <laughs> you know, station wagon. Station. That's another interesting thing to talk about. But anyway, so but the, well, the, same, uh, the situation was the same as now. The whole just like Panky that the Arabs cut off our oil. Well, their oil. <laughs> they cut off their oil, and we didn't mm-hmm. have the capacity to refine and, and drill oil here because the environmentalists they'd cut it back in the Carter days. Fast forward to today, you've got exactly the same situation. Trump had the oil flowing like crazy. We had uh, cheap and plentiful energy, uh, and things were fine. And if the Saudis cut back production, we didn't care. We just ramp up production. You know, the cost of oil wasn't that bad, and things were great. So, but now that, that Brandon has artificially, through the left, has taken away our supply, we're in exactly the same situation we were in the 70s. So when the Saudis cut production, there's only one place for the price to go, and that's up. So we've repeated a stupid situation. I found a very interesting correlation. When you take a look at what happened to the value of the dollar, you look at what happened to interest rates. This is a big factor that's not being taken into account. And a Uh recession. The Carter recession started because of this. And when you take a look at what happened to interest rates, remember, that's why Ronald Reagan got elected. Ronald Reagan got elected because Jimmy Carter had the history of 18%. It was mortgage rates, 18%. Yeah, it was over to 20 at one point. Yeah, yeah. My, my, and CD uh, rates were about, CDs was over 20% because I almost financed my daughter's uh, education with them. <laughs> yeah, everybody's just rolling over the CDs. Well, here's one too. Our, our folks from uh, our, our our texter says uh, a point of interest in the UK economy: 26% uh, of mortgages in the UK are variable. How will it fare with raising gift rates? All areas of life in the UK are increasing more, where interest rates rise, which is what you guys are saying. Uh, those housing costs increase if they don't raise. If they don't raise, inflation destroys daily lifestyle. So in other words, so interest rates are huge. So now they're raising yeah. interest rates again here too, but because they want to break inflation. But this is, I've said this before with Derek when he was on our financial guy, that you're standing on the accelerator and the brake. The accelerator is government spending and government printing, and the brake is higher interest rates. Well, that's stupid. What you do is Correct. you cut the spending and you cut the printing. You don't need the higher interest rates. So you can cure inflation by getting rid of the, the cause of inflation instead of trying to band-aid over it 
uh, with something else that will eventually break it, but it breaks the economy at the same time. It's like chemotherapy. You know, you might survive the cancer, yeah, but it's, you know, you, you, you damage the patient so severely that they may not survive the chemotherapy. Well, and if you go into our Wayback Machine and uh-huh. go back to the late 70s and take uh-huh. a look at what happened, price uh-huh. of oil spiking, interest rates going up. Okay, is, is anybody else hearing that, you know, it's a song that never ends? It's, it's, <laughs> it's happening again. Yeah. Everything that happened in the late 70s, with the exception of Jimmy Carter's not president, but I don't think we've done much better. And well, to well be Jimmy Carter honest, had his brain. I mean, he was, he was consciously making these mistakes, as <laughs> opposed to what's happening well, now. But we're in the nuclear, Obama term. You realize he, yeah. he was a nuclear physicist. You realize that, oh. don't you? Oh, I know. He was I part he was of the modern captain. Yeah. He was brilliant. He, was he just great, wasn't good at uh, – he, he was a – go ahead. PR was not his forte. You know, running a nuclear submarine probably was pretty good in his wheelhouse. But when he became president, mm, not so much. No, no, so, no. I mean, you know, the, the specialized versus gen- presidents have to be generalists. That's why Trump's good. He's a generalist. He can take the big picture and relate things. A nuclear physicist concentrates extremely extensively on one thing. That's when we had Dr. Peter Pryor used to be on the show. Brilliant scientist. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, all kinds of things. But he really had a narrow range of where he was an absolute expert. As opposed to me, I'm a generalist. Yeah, but I talk and about so many different topics on the show. I have to be a generalist. Yeah, go ahead. Now, let's, let's throw another item in here. Uh-huh. The Shah of Iran, the revolutionary takeover by the radical Islam in Iran in 1979. Uh-huh. Right. When Jimmy Carter allowed the Shah to come here to the United States, when he was deposed by Khomeini and the radical Islamists, mm-hmm. that also put another kink into the oil industry and prices. Yeah, we, how much oil did we get else? from Iran? We, we got a bunch of oil from Iran. And they got, yeah. you know, F4 Phantoms Four and f something. How much? Oh, yeah. Got oh, they had lots. It was crazy what we did in terms of spending money to try and support the Shah. Yeah. And Jimmy Carter and the United States government at that time was in both arms, both legs, and up to our neck in Iran. Mm-hmm. And then you had, the, then let's add the Iranian hostage crisis. Let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about the uh, failed rescue mission at Desert One. You know, when you start looking at the whole Carter administration and what took place and the decisions that were made, I'm seeing it again with, with Joe Biden. I mean, it just well, looks I'm seeing, insane. I'm, well, you I'm know, uh, Ukraine. You know, Ukraine is our, you know, yeah. is our other problem. Anyway, go ahead, Bianchi. You know what you call a radical Islam is when the leader of, of Iran, Mossadegh, nationalized the oil field because the British, and that was just running over Iran, cutting them out, and not the, the money wasn't distributed well, very evenly. That's why they, that's they a good considered point. it being radical. Yeah, let's talk about Aramco. You guys remember Aramco, the Arab-American oil company? I think it still exists. But Aramco, you know, was running all over you know, these mm-hmm. different countries, you know, Egypt was, uh, they, I think they have oil too. Who else was, Aramco was, was doing terrible things all over the Middle East to all kinds of countries. Oh yeah. And they actually offered my father a job. Huh. My dad got out of college in, uh, I got to think now, 52, 53. Uh-huh. And, right. uh, then he got drafted. And he was put into what was called the CIC, the Counterintelligence Corps, huh. at, which was the precursor, one of the precursors to the CIA. When he got out, he had a job offer because of his experience. He had a job offer with Aramco. 
Huh. And he didn't take mm-hmm. Because then... You know who else was involved what? with that? Hold, hold on, Bianchi. Hold on, Bianchi. I want to hear the story. Yeah. Well, I've got an interesting connection to this real quick. My father then was approached by the military to come back and go to the language school in California and study, guess what language? Arabic. Vietnamese. Oh. Vietnamese. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. In the late in the mid in the mid fifties. So anyway, that's just another geopolitical connection. What you I'm see, saying they, is, they already knew. The, <laughs> they knew we were going to be they, there. Yeah, yeah. This stuff was predetermined. I mean, when you start looking at what's going on now, how can you sit there and listen to some of these media quacks? I call them quacks uh, because and and believe what they're saying because we've heard this before. I guess they think we're stupid, or those of us that grew up in the 70s weren't going to remember this. I don't know. But yeah, that's, it, what they, just, that's what they got. They, they didn't think we was going to remember because you, you can't leave out names like the Duels brothers and also Kermit Roosevelt, the son of Franklin D. Roosevelt during that time. What was he yeah, doing? there's a lot of things that are happening again. And, yeah. and the oil price is just one part of it because now interest rates are going to respond, and then guess what happens? The big R, recession. We already got that. We've had a recession yeah. since but what this January? Is be worse. Yeah, well, this is going to be worse. This is, look at the country. Yeah. Look, look at our look at our occupation policy. You know, any country that nationalizes, uh, who was it? Salvador Allende in Chile. You know, I don't know who assassinated him, but uh, mm-hmm. do we have a hand in that? Nasser in Egypt. I don't know if he was assassinated Pinochet. or not, but he what was that. No, that was uh, no. It was, it was not Nasser. That was. No, Anwar uh, Sadat was assassinated too, but that was because of the Middle East. Anwar Sadat. I'm talking about, but Nasser, who was a precursor, nationalized the oil companies. Uh, any of these countries mm-hmm. that nationalized that went against Aramco at the time, the Arab American Oil Company, I think the British were involved in it too. Uh, a lot of Middle East politics is wrapped up in oil. And so when Saudi Arabia, which I think was under Aramco too, broke away and said, no, these countries said, we're, not, we're going to nationalize our own oil companies. We're going to keep them. You know, we're not going to be run over by the United States. And so that's, that ties into this as well, especially when you talk about the embargoes later on. So that's and, part and of the Yeah, and the killing of, the killing of Omar Sadat. There's a lot of things that's connected in all this. Yeah, but that's uh, not oil related. Like, that's, that's, that was because uh, he had a peace treaty with Israel. That was all. Well, yeah, after the, the Kapara Wars. Yeah. Well, let's get back there to oil. Oil was related. Yeah. So now, uh, one thing I want to talk about too that I learned from from the salt domes, and this is why it's it's so imperative people understand you, putting oil in and out of these salt domes is not easy because you got to inject water in, and to pump up the oil, right? So the oil floats on top. Now here's the problem with that, from what I understand, that you put water in a salt dome, it dissolves the salt. So not only are we taking oil out of the salt domes of our strategic reserve, we're actually diminishing the salt, making it uh, less stable, less able to hold oil. So we're not only we're ruining our strategic petroleum reserve capacity by taking this oil out for a frivolous purpose, which is so that uh, Brandon can win the election and the Democrats can do well. This should be, I think it is illegal, um, but it was, uh, tell me about salt Okay, but tell me about the water. It's, they're trying it's, it, to, yeah, they're trying to manipulate the price. Right. That's where this all comes about. They're trying to use the, the strategic petroleum. Go ahead. But the salt dome itself. If you if you pump water into a salt dome, you deserve you dissolve the salt. So we're losing and our strategic petroleum reserve uh, structure, and I don't think people realize that. And as far as I'm aware of, from what I read and my past experience, 
even though you take that salt out of there, the caves remain stable. That is okay. not a geologically active uh, portion of the crust. In other well, words, we do lose like some of the salt, but it's not enough to make a difference or <laughs> not enough to really damage but it's it? Not enough to well, the cave no. won't, the, the hollow spots won't cave in, no. They, they're just like a dome, like a, like a okay. Roman like a Roman arch. All right, just want to check and that. The then. In that case, that's not a problem. Yeah, and it doesn't normally collapse like a, a, a limestone cave. They're, they're two different things. It's not – some people are thinking, well, it looks just like a cave of stalactites and stalagmites and things. It's not. It's not like that. It's a completely different geologic formation. And what happens is it traps – the oil doesn't migrate. The oil does not migrate. It has to be pumped in and pumped out. And that's where this all comes about, and that's how they used it to storage – as storage for the petroleum reserve. Now, what gave us our energy independence was the advent of of going down to the bottom of a, of a dry well, then uh, drilling horizontally in order to get into the fissures and do a process called fracking, because there's all that was absorbed in the permeated rocks that uh, it, we didn't have no way to get out until that invention came along. The age of fracking. Yeah, let's talk about that because a lot of people, I think, have a misunderstanding of what it is. What is fracking? You essentially use uh, hot – well, go ahead. Go ahead Mr. You can, you can mention. No, you go ahead. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> Mr. Science. Essentially, you're injecting <laughs> – I love that. Yeah, you're injecting water, steam is used in some cases. To get the porous rock. See, everybody thinks oil is like in these barrels underground, okay, <laughs> thanks to the media. Yeah. The, the media creates these pictures on, you know, the 530 News. It's like, ooh, look at all these oil barrels in Texas. People think that there's these barrels and big tanks underground. That's not how it works. Some of it is in very porous rock. And when it's in very porous rock, you can use like sandstone and things of that type, conglomerate. You can pump water under pressure. Uh, sometimes I believe they use gas. I want to say nitrogen gas, but I could be wrong, uh, which gets that, causes the oil to migrate out of that porous rock and to points where it can be collected. People think the public thinks it's these big tanks underground, and it's not. They don't understand how it works, but the media is not going to tell you. They just put their, their graphic artists they spent too many millions of dollars on to put up a graphic on the news, and that's not the way it works. It, it's kind of boring, actually, <laughs> if you talk about well, it too much. But well, here's what's interesting the about the news. They're, they're talking about electric cars all the time. But most electric cars, most of the power for electric cars comes from what I'm now calling fossil electricity. So I don't use the term fossil mm -hmm. fuel anymore. I call it organic fuel. But, but you've got to figure that if you're creating electricity from oil, coal, or natural gas, you're burning the very fuel that could be a cars run on natural gas. Those whole fleets, like government fleets, run on natural gas. I don't know if coal is, is distilled for fuel at all. I don't think so. But oil, I mean, our gasoline, our diesel comes from oil. And, and, but it also uses to power electric power plants. So here's a question. How much efficiency is lost in the transition of, of our organic fuels to electricity to be put into a car as a fuel? Because, you know, the electricity is, is car fuel. You know, whether it's fossil I electricity don't know the or yeah, okay, so I how, don't have yeah. that figure, but I next can week. tell you another example. We'll do it next Wind week. is only like 35% efficient, 40% okay. efficient. 
they try and talk about how, oh, great wind energy and everything is, but it's because of all the amount of energy that's wasted in actually spinning and creating these things, the, the windmills, it's right. only about 35 to 45% efficient. So well, I'm most internal combustion engines are about that too, aren't they? I mean, they, they lose so much uh, energy. The internal combustion engines are about in the 40s. Oh, it is? At okay. this present yeah. time. Have they gotten better? They yeah. must have gotten better. Right. Better, yeah. Yeah. These okay. breathers and things like that that they have, uh, you know, pollution control devices, uh, mm-hmm. which of course help our gas mileage tremendously. But th- that that's part of it. We've lowered. Mm-hmm. What was it? We've lowered our hydrocarbons, our carbon input by like thirty percent in this country the last ten, fifteen years, thirty, thirty-five percent. Now I could talk about the cars that stop automatically when you come to a stoplight, but that's a whole mm-hmm. other issue for another day. That's stupid. Yeah, that's, that's just dumb. Uh, well, how much how much fuel is is done in starting an engine? I mean, you you know, unless the car shut off for a fair amount of time, you're going to lose more fuel starting the engine. I had a friend who's an engineer tell me there is no way that they have built starters that will be able to take the number of cycles that have to happen when you, you know, that's why I shut mine off whenever I drive. You have to shut off. You do have control as a driver. You can so shut off I the starter? I shut mine off. Every time. Well, you, you know. St- you shut your starter yeah, off? No. Wait a minute. Hold on. You shut the no, starter off? No, no, no. So, no, there's a way to bypass that where it shuts off to quit putting out exhaust. Oh, good. You can bypass that. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, that's there. You know, you've got to remember to do it. Yeah. Remember, Cadillac had a four, six, and eight engine. Remember that? Right. Yep. It would run off of four cylinders, then six, then eight. When you was on mm-hmm. a highway cruise, they would cut down to four cylinders. When you was in the city, it would take eight because you had to start and stop. Yeah, in between. When accelerating. Yeah, it, would go to, it would go to eight when you accelerated. Then it would you know gear down to four you know, once you were cruising because it takes less energy to cruise. But I want to get back to this um, this starter here for a second, because this is, this is fascinating to me, that they think they're going to save energy by making every car shut off at a traffic light. If you want that, just get a hybrid. They shut off automatically at traffic lights. You know, so that's the best, best one for that. And it doesn't, yeah, but how many new starters are we going to need? How much, you know, how much energy is going into these starters? How much wasted energy, battery energy, you know, and, and, you know, and the gasoline it takes to start the car, especially on a hot day when you get like detonation and things like that. You get vapor, I don't know if they have vapor lock anymore with the fuel injected engines. But you keep starting. starting remember when you said you have trouble starting a car on a hot day because of vapor lock? Yeah. I guess. Well, you don't have a carburetor. There's no carburetor. Oh, okay. so you don't, so you don't have that anymore. Okay. To right. Remember, to bypass that, you would have to get into your carburetor, take the air filter off, air cleaner off, and mm-hmm. put something into like a pen or something to hold the, the butterfly valve open in order to get it to start. I had a 1979 Ma- a 1969 Maverick. Three mm-hmm. on the tree, six cylinder. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that thing would lock up when it got above 80 degrees, 90 degrees. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My Dodge like Coronet, yeah, 1970, uh, 1970 Dodge Coronet with a 318 V8, my college car. I can't tell you how many times I started that with a pencil in the, butter, in the butterfly off to open it up on a, a hot yep. day. I get like three starts, and after three starts, that was it. So I had to make sure my errands mm-hmm. on a hot day, you know, if I had to start more than three times, it ain't going to go anywhere. I got to either relax, hang out for a while, or, uh, you know, open the hood. And I do that many times. But, yeah, so I guess we don't have to worry right. about that. But starting a car that often, that can't be efficient. No, I, well, what's done a window vapor lot was the electric fuel pump. Well, yeah, exactly. Fuel, um, what is it? Um, what's it called? Fuel injection. 
and electric fuel pumps. Yeah. Got rid of, yeah. And we had that on airplanes too. We had to put the fuel pumps on so you didn't get vapor lock in your airplane, which was a whole lot more trouble than just pulling over on the side of the road. <laughs> You think? Oh, was it, we, all knew, we all knew about electric fuel pumps. Yeah, exactly. All right, but uh, so now we have these new cars. And, well, and, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was going to mention something else. You know, we were talking about this thing with the SPR. I don't mean to digress. I'm just no, no. Go back. Remember You've that done your homework. I, I want to cover your homework before we start going into all our topics, which we tend to do. <laughs> the you know what a good open discussion is fun. One of oh, the yeah. things we'll need to remember is the Strategic Petroleum Reserve has helped after major disasters. I'm pointing particularly like Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane... See, that's what it's for, I've, though. That's what it's for. In fact, you just I mentioned, know, too, that no, it was originally created as a, as a price stabilizer, yet we've heard it's only for emergencies. So was it created as a price stabilizer, or was it created for emergencies? No. It was created for emergencies, for oil embargoes, for hurricanes okay. that would close down refineries uh, or drilling rigs in the Gulf. That's what it was designed for. It was not designed for price manipulation. But that's not really the way supply and demand works because with oil, they decide that day. Remember, you and I have talked about that scene at the end of the movie, Trading Places, where they talk yeah, but I, about I don't what happens it. in the You community. talked about it. I don't remember it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't remember if you did. The, no. When Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd are bidding on the floor of the com- commodities exchange on frozen orange juice, it's the same thing. Oil, gold, all of these things are bargained with, and contracts are sold, bought and sold ahead of time, three months, mm-hmm. six months, based on projections. Well, if the projection is there's going to be a decreased supply of oil, demand really doesn't matter because the supply is less, so that's going to increase demand automatically. Does that make sense? In other words, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to meet the demand. The price is going to go higher. And that's what's happening. They're artificially manipulating, trying to lower it by increasing supply. And it's not going to work. That's it's called, just not uh, going to happen. That's called, that's called futures. They bid on futures contracts. And that contract is what they will buy that oil or frozen mm-hmm. orange juice or gold or whatever at a particular yeah. price. And that, well, con- gotta, that commodities yeah. exchange – go ahead. Well, I was just saying, another comment here on, on, on oil. So finish your comment, Mike, and then I, uh, uh, I've got another yeah. comment from our, our texter. Don't understand. Yeah. That price of oil that they see in the paper in the business section or whatever in the Wall Street Journal, that's been determined. That's looking out five, six, seven months. Mm-hmm. That's not just today. And so what people don't understand is they're paying price today based on what the demand and supply might be three months, six months down the road. So they're, they're trying to manipulate contracted six months ago, you know, or six <clears throat> exactly. months previously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and this is interesting. My, my live chat comment is uh, uh, the SPR, the strategic petroleum reserve, which is hard to say, uh, releases uh, sweet light oil, not the nasty stuff we get from these other countries. And then he said, uh, China can right. refine quicker and better than we can. So, I mean, uh, he says, I think Biden wants to empty it and fill it with Canadian tar sands oil, which we can refine better than sweet light. So a couple of things going on here. Well, let's, let's start with the, the China thing, and, and, uh, or, or let's start with emptying our strategic petroleum reserve. My contention is that the left in this country, is not that they, they don't hate oil. They just hate American oil. And uh, Peter, uh, Steve Ducey said this on Fox News the other morning, too, that we all think, 
that they're trying to get rid of the strategic petroleum reserve to make us more dependent on their forms of energy, wind and solar. Have you thought about that at all? Sure. Sure. It's manipulation for political purposes. I mean, let's but take a look geopolitical. Can they get rid of it legally? Can they empty it? The president is authorized to release, uh, I, basically from what I've read in terms of legislation, the president is allowed to release for economic or national security purposes or whatever oil from the strategic oil reserve. Yeah, but that's not what this is. Does he have to have a presidential finding? Does it have to be a declared emergency, like like COVID shots? What's what's the uh, what's the, the it I comes into the Administrative Procedures <clears throat> Act? So I'm curious what this might be, how they're allowed to do it. And and that's one part that I did not research because, like I said, some of the legal legal leads and stuff I was getting into was kind of confusing. That's a Jonathan. I'm not an attorney. Well, we'll ask him. Yeah, yeah, we actually have one. Yeah, okay. That would be so nice what about China? Because... Uh, is, could China send us oil? You know, we're sending them oil right now. So why are we – wait a minute. I'm curious about this comment because our, our, uh, our, our live chat person was talking about China refining oil better than we can. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. Why are we sending oil to China then? Or are they sending us – Exactly. Are they sending us gasoline products Let back? Let them send to themselves. I mean, to me well, – do we, Are we no trading point. in oil with China? Oh, I'm sure we are. We're trading everything else. The economy. I mean, look at all the stuff we get from China. Good Lord. You want to know what we get from China? Just walk down the aisle of any Dollar General store. Yeah, but why would, we, why would we trade our oil to them unless that's part of, you know, you know Brandon being the Chinese representative in the U.S. government? And, and do you know about Chinese refining? Money. Okay. M-O-N-E-Y. It's money. It's money. So, I mean, right. when you take a look at what's going on. They put regulations on our golf fishing industries, like shrimpers, where they are contained, then what the balance that's needed we get from China, your shrimp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. there's, there's other industries, and I'm trying to – well, batteries. You know, we talk about the lithium that's used in car batteries, and it's the new – cars burn up. You mean the combustible uh, car batteries? These spontaneous yeah, combusting car batteries. car batteries. So what's going on with that? So you've got salt water mixing with a lithium battery. Why is that causing an explosion a month later? What's the reaction? There's a chemical reaction, and I okay. don't know the numbers on it, but, but it's a it's, – What, what it's combines with what to produce what? Yeah, just a, so what combines with what, and how does it work? Do you know? I know it's the salt and the lithium. Okay. That's what actually causes it. But I'm not a chemistry major. So I couldn't tell you for certain, but I'm, I know it's got to be some kind of chemical reaction with the salt. It has to. Well, salt um, water but, is a great conductor of electricity because salt, mm-hmm. I mean, we know that. So salt, so your basic NaCl, sodium chloride, right, breaks yep. up in the water to sodium atoms and chloride uh, ions, well, chloride remember, ions and, and sodium did ions. You ever do that? Did you what? ever do that experiment in middle school where you put the salt water solution in a beaker and then you could use like a copper strip and a silver strip, and you right. could create electrical current. So yeah. when you start talking, yeah, when you start talking about creating electrical current and everything else, it makes sense mm-hmm. that it would so overload can create a spark, and when you have a spark, you okay. can have a fire. And so my, my what mm-hmm. I'm thinking is the salt water 
is the conductive elements, the conductive, the conductive electricity. The salt rusts things, so salt also oxidizes. So salt is oxidizing, breaking down, and providing the, the, the medium for an electric current to arc from somewhere in the battery to something else that catches fire. Now, does lithium catch fire like sodium mm-hmm. does? Is it, is it explosive like that? No. You drop sodium into water, um, it catches fire, yeah. right? The fire, oh, yes, I learned that. That's one of the first things you learn in, in uh, school safety is you do not mess with sodium and water. Sodium, pure right. sodium. Yeah, the sodium is a corrosive. kept in oil. Sodium is stored in oil for one very important reason. No oxygen, no moisture. Gets to yeah, it. no corrosion. And we actually, yeah, we, I actually had to have a chemical company with, under the supervision of a fire department come and remove some old sodium from an old classroom when I was running, when I was department head of my science department, we had to have the fire department come on standby and a chemical company come in and take this block of sodium out of one of the storage rooms. And they had to be done that way because if it would have dropped or something else, it would have been an explosion. How did you get a block of sodium in there? What was it for? (laughs) I'm kind of curious. I don't know. These guys in the 60s and 70s, some of these science teachers, I don't know what they were doing. I get kind of scared when I see the, you know, the universal nuclear sign on the storage room. I kind of get a little, ex- little excited, you know. And, yeah, that was a school of a 1,000 kids. And we found the sodium sitting on a shelf. And we had to have it removed by a chemical company. And like I said, we had the fire department on standby. Because you can't put water on a sodium fire. You can only put on, like, DE, diatomaceous earth. You have to use, like, one of those chemical cleanup right. procedures. You, yeah. You, you can't just, mm-hmm. but, but sodium's got to be one part of it. Mm. I'm sure it is because of sodium's reactivity, like you said, with water. Yeah, and the chlor- and, you know, you can, take a, yeah. you can take a yeah, stack of pennies. You can take a stack of pennies and put a piece of construction paper that's soaked in saliva in between each penny in order to create a cell. And it'll actually produce a voltage. Mm-hmm. Just like the well, old, yeah, because you can do the same yeah. with a lemon. You can do the same with a lemon. You put a penny in one side and something silver in the other, and you can conduct electricity. I think it's a lemon. I've got to go back and look. There, there's all sorts of little fun science experiments you can do. Well, the there's point is these things are combustible. These cars are not as safe. Yeah. So, so do you think that there's going to be a, a rise in the sale of gasoline-powered vehicles in Florida and other hurricane-prone areas? <laughs> what do you bet? Uh, I think, you know, I don't get this. The electrical vehicle was never intended to replace the internal combustion engine. I believe people I've talked to, it was designed to be an adjunct to or to help Mm -hmm. lower carbon in the atmosphere, commuting, going 10, 15 miles to work. That's what the electric car was designed for. It was not designed for 1,000-mile trips. For the family, it was not designed to haul freight back and forth across the uh, United States. Internal combustion engines are still the most efficient way to do that in terms of hauling things. I, there's no way an electric car will, or a van or truck can haul that kind of load. So will the electric car help? Yes. But is it designed to take the place of the internal combustion engine? No, it can't. It's just not practical. Okay, you're not well, going to go to Indianapolis. 
how much energy does it take to yeah. produce the electricity for an electric car compared to the same amount of energy that's, uh, that goes into a gasoline-powered car? So if you have petroleum... There's a study out there. I'm, yeah. I'm sure I know there's been a study out there because people are trying to compare the two so they yeah, can, one can slap the other. I don't know. I've not seen the study, so I don't know for sure. How about but next I thought... You put that on your list for next week? <clears throat> uh, yeah. Okay. I will write it down on my notes. Electric versus fuel-based. Okay. Fossil Energy efficiency. Yeah. How much? Energy. You know? Because I'll bet you that the the conversion of of natural gas, you know, or coal or oil uh, to electricity through a steam dynamo generator, transferring that power through power lines into an electric car, that electric car using that for mechanical energy to drive the wheels. I'll I'll bet you it's, it's less efficient than a gasoline-powered vehicle, which when you put gasoline in your tank, you get 100% of the, of the energy of that gasoline. It can even sit there for a while, too. Whereas an electric battery, isn't it true that every time you charge an electric battery, you never get a full charge? You always reduce it a little bit? So yeah, it does. It Okay. Yeah, excuse me. It wears out. Right. But with a gasoline you engine, thing too. when you fill the hold on a second, when you fill the tank on a gasoline car, you get the same amount of energy every time. Unless of course the tank gets smaller or you know something. Well, but you for the most part, little, you lose a little there too because you get the combustion that's seeping around the rings, but not as much as it used to be. Okay. But you know the, the sad thing is is that your power generating stations, which have a burden during hot uh, summers, now when you have all these cars that's hooking up to it in order to charge those batteries, they're going to be over under capacity because they won't, have, they won't be producing enough. Now, here's the kicker. When, it's, when the consumer has to increase the capacity, the size of the power generating station, the consumer is going to be made to pay for that. Now, when these batteries ideas go by the wayside, you're going to have an over-capacity power generating station that's going to be sitting there and not needed anymore, and that in itself causes a problem because they're not running that efficiency like they were designed to do. Think about it. Mike? Yeah, and the cost. When you talk about cost-benefit, that's another thing you look into. What's the cost-benefit of an electric car versus an internal combustion engine? It would be fun to take two cars and do 200 miles on each one and take a look at the numbers. I mean, I'm sure somebody's done it. Certainly, it's been done already. There's got to be a study out there. I'll try and look in, that, in my research on that. Well, if we didn't have four minutes left, I would have looked it up this morning. <laughs> I figured we should just uh, save it for another week. But, yeah. We used an hour? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That's, like, yeah. crazy. Yeah, well, that's, that's like I have fun. I have fun with my – I had fun as a teacher. Science is my favorite subject. Science was my favorite subject because the time went by fast. Yeah, I think it's something. This is good, Greg. This I want to thank you for having this opportunity, because oh. what we're doing is hopefully we're mm-hmm. educating folks a little bit, giving them information and uh, stuff they can use practically. You know, if they're going to go out and buy a Tesla, at least hopefully they have some. They're armed with information, and and well, not we actually. Be taking, uh, uh, Amber, who wasn't here today, our, our constitution reporter, uh, she had an idea for a bill, and she wants to, she's looking at this the exact topic, is how do you do a gas tax equivalent for electric cars? What, how much voltage do you tax at what rate to equal the gasoline tax? Oh, yeah. 
Okay, now, well, so, so she's working good. on that. Well, here's our plan. Let me tell you our plan real quick because this is kind of fun. So I talked to her about this, and I said, well, I want to add a hazardous materials. I want to add a hazmat fee to the battery, and I was thinking $25,000. I don't know how much. I don't know how much. I just got my 90-second warning, but we can yeah. run a few minutes over time. Uh, I don't know how much it costs to dispose of one of these things, but I just picked that out of, out of thin air. So you have a $25,000 hazmat you know, battery uh, fee. You've got an electric power mm-hmm. generator. In other words, you make it the same as cars. And I was, and I would suggest that the states like Florida, for every you know dollar that the feds are giving as a subsidy, we put a tax on electric cars of the equivalent amount. So if you get a ten thousand dollars subsidy, then Florida should have a ten thousand dollars electric car tax. You know, so that we get the yep. money. You know, I mean, so there's no incentive to to buy an electric car because it's artificially subsidized by the federal government because that's just stupid. And I think it's illegal too for the government to engage in market practices and skew the market just because they want to uh, make the choices for us. But uh, those are one of the things what we're working on. We're tr- Go ahead. They're doing that with oil prices. Mm-hmm. They're trying to. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about it, they're, they're trying to manipulate illegal. the market. Yeah, I think that's illegal. Government yeah. should not be manipulating the market. I don't know where it's illegal. I don't think it's in the Commerce Clause, I'll tell you that. I don't, I don't remember reading uh, in the Commerce Clause the ability to manipulate markets <laughs> you know, for political advantage. Something I just don't think it's there. They get, think that promote the general welfare. <laughs> promote the general welfare. Do you right? know what that means? That's where it comes from. Do you, do you know what that means? I think Literally, that's what they wanted to mean. Well, I, I think that's what they wanted to mean. Right. What it means I is mean, that all the laws have to be uh, well, have to be have to be equal. In other words, you can't have specific. You can't have special interest legislation. You can't have you know individuals benefiting. Uh, it says actually is promote the general welfare. It doesn't say provide for the general welfare. It says that later in the Constitution. But promoting the general welfare right. means promoting laws that benefit everybody equally. The general welfare as yeah. opposed to special welfare. That's the difference. So remember in the, in the preamble. The preamble. Yeah, the preamble has no legal standing. I've already doesn't. looked that up. Yeah, it's true. And, it doesn't. And so but it, it's just a, it's a statement of Well, philosophy. actually, it does in a way, though. When it says we the people, it doesn't say we the states. It doesn't say we the federal government. And it doesn't say a lot of other things. It does say we the people. So I think there's, there actually it does have a legal standing in, in this definition. Yeah. That's the Tenth Amendment. Preamble has no legal, preamble has no legal standing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it has. Well, I still tenth use it. Amendment, though. remember what it says. The Tenth Amendment says all powers not reserved to the or not given to the federal government are reserved to the states. Mm-hmm. So, so when it comes to the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, should it be the responsibility of the states in which the reserve is in, and should yeah. they have to ask permission <clears throat> of the states to release it? In all, all cases, it should be the state. Yeah, I don't think that's practical. I mean, there's unfortunately, like it or not, we have some things we have to accept. I mean, we don't have to like them. Wait a minute, you just said, I don't you like just said that, uh, that the, the, the Tenth Amendment says power is not specifically delegated to the federal government or reserved to the states. Well, they were never delegated any authority over energy. So should there, should there be a strategic or a, a federal reserve or a state reserve? If you're going by the Constitution. Well, and, I agree it with you, but there's a thing called regulators, unfortunately. They, they regulate yeah. But they can't make law. They can't make law or policy, and they certainly can't violate the Constitution in the course of their regulation. I agree. I agree a thousand and one percent. That's part of our problem. But they still do it. Delegation. Delegated powers to the federal government comes from the state. It's the people that can't conceive or imagine themselves having that kind of power. 
That's where the problem lies. It'd be interesting. Or, if you know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. You know the story, <laughs> I think I can, I think I can, I think. Well, people cannot conceive themselves having that type of, of control. They just can't right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we'll pick this up next time. This is this is fun, but uh, okay. it's interesting that uh, that the, you know I say it's practical on one hand to have it be a federal reserve, but on the other hand, it's unconstitutional. So and that happens a lot. Well, it's just easier for us to do it. Well, it doesn't yeah. mean you can. So we'll continue the argument. We have a lot of questions for next week. Mike, thank you. Uh, Mike Clinch is oh. our person who I didn't formally introduce, which I will do now. And do you have do you have any projects? Any any. Uh, public uh, websites or anything you're working on that we that people can get in touch actually, with you? <clears throat> actually, I'm assisting my wife. As you know, she just recently had some reconstructive surgery, so I'm helping her. She is chief fundraiser for a group called Set Free Refuge. What it is is an anti-trafficking group, okay. and uh, what they do is they provide counseling and things like that. If they just look up under Set Free Refuge, just Google it, and you'll you find out it? they help traffic young women. Set yeah. free, S E T F R E. Oh, set free. Okay, got it. Set free, setting them free from the sex industry. Set okay. free refuge, and it's designed for uh, young people uh, who've been caught up in that. And they provide counseling, they provide residential respite care, education, uh, resources for uh, the young women. It's of course mostly young women to uh, get back into life and to have themselves have a great life without having to deal with that other stuff. Okay. We should get her on to talk about it sometime too. That'd be uh, that'd be a good thing as well. Yeah. Uh, when she feels like it. No All right. problem. Um, thanks, Mike. Let's do it. Yeah, again. I really enjoy. I, I really. Hey, I'll do that. I wake up Friday. I wake up Saturday morning. Can't wait till Friday comes so we can have at it with you. <laughs> I just need you two guys. Uh, no. To to figure who's going to speak. I can't you know, wait for my first glass of wine. Okay. Okay. I I, right. I won't drink, but I might need a glass of wine next time. What That's after okay. the show or before? After right, the show or before Greg. the show? After the show or before the show, Mike? During. <laughs> during. During. <laughs> well, 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 listen to. It sounds like you're sipping on wine. And the things you're talking about. What kind of We're going to bookend it. Have one at the front and one at the end. But I got a drink in the middle. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, are, are we taxing you, Mike? Are we making? Are we challenging you? No, no, I love it. No, it makes my brain fun. I'm having fun. Yeah, yeah, he's having fun. Oh, good. Well, tell us what I wine you're drinking next time. Miles. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, you can, I'll drink coffee. You can drink wine that on the air. It's okay. You're not driving. You know, as long as you know, as long as you're stationary. <laughs> well, you know, as a feel free. Of fact, no. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can enjoy no, a glass. We want to know what we want to know what you drink. So uh, I, I have a little bit of knowledge of wine, having lived in California and have the wine tour guides as friends and had frequented Sonoma and Napa on many occasions. So we'll uh, we can talk about that too. We should do a show on wine. Actually, what do you think about that? I I'm I'm a white wine guy. Do not like room temperature. I can't do, but I will occasionally drink a port, just because it tastes like Vicks Formula 44. But yes, I will there. occasionally. No, actually, ports are good. Food. A good port is really good. Tawny or ruby? Uh tawny. Okay. A tawny port. Um, okay. Remember, I'm from Missouri. <laughs> we have a very large wine area. Oh, you do. We have a very large wine area just outside St. Louis. I had no like idea. Like 1520 winery. Wow. Yes. It was the you first winery. Yeah, in Herman. Okay. In Herman, Herman. and Gerald, Missouri. Augusta, yes. that it, whole area. Yeah, go mm-hmm. ahead. And that fault you were talking yeah. about is New Magic. 
Absolutely. We can talk about that sometime, too. What's about, that, the, the uh, yeah, it shook my granddaddy out the bed one day. Yep. Yeah, actually, you know, Mike, that, right that would be uh, – we had earthquakes in, in northern Santa Rosa County. I remember early when, the, when I got here. So this has been 2017, 2018, when I was at WBY. They actually mm-hmm. had earthquakes in Jay, which is the northern part of Santa Rosa County. For those who don't know who, right. where we are, look on a map of the Gulf of Mexico, find Pensacola, and turn right. <laughs> so that's where I am. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but the northern part of the county – keep driving until morning. Yeah, just keep going. Just keep driving yeah, north, yeah. and eventually you'll hit Canada. Um, but the but we do have earthquake faults in, in the United States, and people are not aware, they're aware of the San Andreas because you know everybody in California lives on it. Um, but they're not aware mm-hmm. of other earthquake faults faults that run through the country. Add that to your list, please. We'll we'll do that as well. Yeah. See, see all the shows we're okay. creating. Okay, I, I have a job now. I have a job now, so that's a okay. good thing. Okay. Well, keep me off the, the show or or. Uh, or, or you have an, well, you have like well, a real job? Oh, okay. I no, I don't have a real job. Are you kidding? I'm retired. Oh, that's good. Good for you. I was wondering hey, about listen, that word. I'm, I'm, I'm like almost retirement age, and it took me this long to find a career that I like. So you know, I'm not retiring anytime soon. I'm having way too much fun. All right, let's do it again next week. Everybody. We'll hear you. And uh, so All right, final comments. Good. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Mike. Pianki, anything to right, uh, sum up the week? Soon. Okay, sounds good. All right. Bye bye. Right. Bye now. Bye, guys. Be careful. Yes, sir. Anything to sum up our week? This has been quite a week. Yeah. Hey, the temperature dropped here. It had me in yesterday. My body started saying, no, you need to sleep a little longer. You need to sleep a little longer. (laughs) Well, I'm up early in the morning, 1 o'clock. My day starts about 1 in the morning. Oh, wow. It's so much stuff to research, you know. You know, it's, well, yeah. well, I well, because you know, I I do a ton of research for this show, uh, and, and in fact, you know, the most frustrating thing is researching a topic that doesn't go anywhere, and I can't use it, and I've spent time researching it. I hate that, but I don't mind looking stuff up. You know, I start shows. That's where the shows are usually started four or five days ahead of time, where I kind of and it's sort of like a rolling thing. It's like what well, I'm considering. I want to do this, not do that, uh, and by the time it is showtime, I'm pretty well sure of what I'm going to do. But even then, there's spontaneous things that happen really last minute. All right, let's, uh, let's get know, out of here for this week. Go ahead. Real quick, once you get to a certain point in life, you pretty much know what's going to be said and what's going to be done. Just like he talked about the interest rates, it's going back up. It's just a recyclement. I mean, that's mm-hmm. all it is. You know what Joe Biden is going to say. You know what the Fed is going to do. And you pretty mm-hmm. much can predict ahead of time. We just live in our synopsis. That's what we are. <laughs> I never thought of myself as a living Nostradamus, so that's kind of interesting. Well, we've seen the patterns. We've seen this stuff before, uh, and so that makes a difference, and that's why uh, it's very – that's why I asked that question. You know, I asked it of Derek and, uh, and of Mike, you know, how much of this – you know, for those of us that have seen these things before, it's like, yep, been around, been – you know, it goes up, it goes down. It's okay. You know, don't worry about it, folks. But the younger folks, oh, my God, this is a panic. What are we going to do? Well, relax, first of all, and secondly, prepare, deal with it. And, uh, you know, we all seem to muddle through no matter what happens. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what uh, – we have an election coming up. That's going to dominate the news in the next couple of weeks. And uh, my big thing is to see what happens. Uh, I think the Republicans are going to win. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about what they're actually going to do when they win. <laughs> That's my big question. So we shall see. Absolutely. We shall see. Yeah, lots of you things in the world. Be careful. You too. You be careful Keep your too. Keep wide and your ears pierced. Yep, but I'm still going to have fun, take chances, and you know, do what I normally do. You know, life without risk is boring. 
I'm sorry, it just is. I can't. Uh, got to be out there. Got to be out there on the on the high wire. All right. Um, let's do it again next week for everybody. And of course, our, our main website for our legislation, where you want to go, is writeyourlaws.com. W r i t e y o u r l a w s. Writeyourlaws.com. From there, you can get to our main show site, blogtalkradio.com/slash/citizenaction. Lots of information for you on our broadcast page, which you can check anytime. I only play a couple things, and I'll be back um, Monday at. Seven, yeah, it should be 7 a.m. Monday Central Time. There we go, 7 a.m. Central Time. And I'll see you then. Bye now. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? 
It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.